on, man. And I see some black people looking at me. Man, why you got to say that? Why you got to say that? It ain't us, it's the media. It ain't us, it's the media. The media has distorted our image to make us look bad. Why must you come down on us like that, brother? It ain't us, it's the media. Please cut the fucking shit, okay? 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 When I go to the money machine tonight, all right? I ain't looking over my back for the media. I'm looking for niggas. When the TV network Black News Channel launched two years ago, the journalists there hoped to cover stories in a different way. At the time, they said they were, quote, dedicated to covering the unique perspectives, challenges, and successes of black and brown communities. BNC's CEO then shocked employees last week when he announced that the network would be shutting down immediately. Here to explain BNC's downfall is Rodney Ho. He's an entertainment reporter with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution who's been covering the story, and he joins us now. Welcome. How are you doing? Great. Well, if you could just give us a little more about the origin story of BNC, like who launched it exactly? I think it was actually uh, the Congressman J.C. Watts uh, came up with the idea and hooked up with this Pakistani billionaire, uh, Jackson Jaguar's owner, Shad Khan. And uh, he was willing to put up quite a bit of money to start up the operation. Uh, they started, I think, officially in 2020, right before the pandemic, probably not the greatest time. And they focused on basic cable channels. They, they got decent distribution. I think they got into over 50 million households. Wow. Um, and they also brought in Prince L. Hare, who is a veteran cable news network executive. He worked at CNN and he took over last year. It was really ambitious. He hired uh, Mark Lamont Hill, the commentator, he, the New York Times columnist uh, Charles Blow was also given a primetime show. Uh, so, so they wanted to make it big. And how did BNC try to differentiate itself from the rest of the media landscape? Like, how specifically? I, I mean, I think by dint of its title, Black News Channel, they took everything through the lens of the uh, Black community and how it impacted them, you know. And it, it, it's interesting that they had their highest ratings just last week with Kentaji Brown-Jackson's confirmation. Uh, unfortunately, I guess by then, the money had started running out to try and build up this operation without getting enough of an audience. And can we talk about that? Like, yeah, over the recent months, BNC went through several rounds of layoffs, ultimately culminating in this announcement that the network's going to shut down entirely. Like, what caused all of this? It may be the fundamental issue that a lot of the people who follow news, uh, they get their news from social media. Um, they, you know, they get their news from YouTube and Instagram. Um, basic cable may have been a great idea to launch a basic cable network in 1992. Mm -hmm. uh, this was not the right vehicle. <laughs> For, to catch people. And even though it wasn't 50 million households, like I realized for me to find the channel, I had to go to like channel 270. I mean, wow. CNN and Fox News, they're on channel 44, 46. I'm not going to wander down into that area to try and find them. It's hard to, um, you know, to access them. Even if you technically had access, it's like being in the top shelf in a dusty corner of a, of a supermarket where nobody can see you. So you see this demise being more a symptom of there just isn't that big of an audience for any cable news network trying to start now, rather than specifically how BNC was run. It, it, you could argue either way. You could say that maybe they, they spent too much. Uh, that's, some people have argued that they, they tried to grow too quickly without putting in the proper marketing dollars to build awareness. Or maybe it was a fundamental issue of it wasn't the right place to build an operation. Maybe they should have focused on just doing a digital video operation. It would have been a lot cheaper. Well, then 
what's available now in the media landscape for black and brown audiences who are interested in learning about the news, but through a lens that is specific for them? They already exist, um, on, but most of them are online. I mean, The Griot, The Root, um, Roland Martin, who was actually offered a job at Black News Channel, but turned it down because they didn't offer him enough pay. He has his own uh, news operation. It, it's very small and grassroots, but he says it's profitable. Um, I think there are ways to get news out there in a, in a way that works and where the audience is. And unfortunately, the audience is not you know, the, especially younger audiences no longer on cable news or cable network systems. Rodney Hope is a reporter with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. That's right, man. I mean, I don't fuck around. I don't do no... I don't get out at all. Part of the main reason I don't fuck around my big brother. Big brother. Junkie alcoholic. We're learning more about the harms that increased alcohol consumption caused during the first year of the COVID-19 pandemic. Researchers with the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, a division of the National Institutes of Health, published their findings in a research letter to the Journal of the American Medical Association. From 2019 to 2020, researchers found a 25 percent increase in the number of alcohol-associated deaths. That is, those where death certificates showed alcohol as the underlying or contributing cause of death. Aaron White is the research letter's lead author and the senior scientific advisor to the director at the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. Dr. Aaron White, welcome to All Things Considered. Thank you for having me. Like I said, let me repeat that statistic. Your research shows an overall 25% increase in deaths related to alcohol in the first year of the pandemic. And that includes an increase in every age category, starting with those as young as 16 years old. That's a shocking jump. Were you surprised by the sharp increase in your findings? We were surprised at how big the jump was. Mm -hmm. uh, we anticipated there would probably be an increase because we knew that more people were drinking during the pandemic. And uh, of course, whenever you have more people drinking and drinking more heavily, you have more harm. But the sheer size of the increase was very surprising, particularly given that the pandemic didn't really get underway until the middle of the spring that year. Mm -hmm. So this increase really occurred within about a nine-month period. Were there particular points in this research that jumped out to you, particular statistics? Well, I mean, really, the, what you mentioned earlier, the fact that it happened across all age groups, it happened uh, across all racial and ethnic groups, it was just a general uh, shift upward in uh, deaths related to drinking. Um, but it was surprising to us how quickly it happened, too. I mean, in March, when uh, we started having stay-at-home orders, um, that's about when the, the jump occurred, and it, was, it went up quickly and stayed elevated throughout the rest of that year and into 2021. Tell me more about what we know and don't know about what drove this increase in deaths. You mentioned that people were drinking more. Is it that people were drinking alone? Is it that people mm. with addiction problems needed more help? How much do we know about that? People had a sort of a double whammy with this pandemic. We had a lot of extra stress to cope with, um, you know, financial strain and uh, homeschooling our kids. And, uh, and then we had a reduction in our normal coping uh, strategies. We had uh, less access to socializing with our friends, people who go to church, they had to often miss that. People couldn't even just go, you know, walk around a Target and, and shop <laughs> to get out of the house. And so it was the combination of added stress and then a reduction in access to normal outlets for coping that we think drove, for some people, an increase in drinking. 
I'm wondering now, we're, we're two years out from 2020. Do you have hope looking ahead, for example, that we'll see a reduction in alcohol-related deaths as COVID dies down? Well, I do have hope. Um, you know, it's, it's anybody's guess how long it will take for things to start, start to calm down. Um, it's hard to know if this increase in, uh, in alcohol-related mortality is going to be something we have to deal with for a long time or if it will, uh, it will recede once uh, everything gets back to, you know, <laughs> sort of normal, a new normal. So we have to try to create a healthier environment for people, but also promote choices that are healthy and sustainable uh, to help them, you know, cope with life stress. That was Dr. Aaron White. He's the senior scientific advisor to the director at the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. Dr. White, thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. He really loved me. I understand. He was so fat. You saw how fat he was. I don't care what I brought in this he just eat it up. I don't care what it was I brought in here. I bring some Popeye's chicken. That boy eat the whole thing. Before I even get a chance to get me a bite of the chicken, he just eat it He would eat his little ass off. You ain't ever seen nobody eat like He would eat candy. Gumballs. He made me take him over, over up there to the Super Kmart. Yeah. And he put them quarters in that gumball. Yeah. He had to wait till he get the red gumball. He, he always had to get the red gumball. You sound like a character, I guess. Get that red gumball, and he just eat all that red gumball. I was a good man. I was really good. I was good. I was really good. I didn't want to be fat like that. I do not want my baby to be fat like that because I know a black man in America, you can't be like that. I try to. <laughs> Almost 30 million Americans will have an eating disorder in their lifetime. During the pandemic, the number of people seeking treatment has jumped. But as Amna Nawaz reports, eating disorders are often overlooked in people of color. A warning, this story discusses the behaviors associated with these conditions. For years, Trey Brown hid her disordered eating from her family. It's a stigma to have an eating disorder in my community. One of my cousins made the statement, black people don't have eating disorders. That's a white person's disease. We know how to eat. When most people hear the phrase eating disorder, what do you think they picture? Who do they think I of? think they picture a Caucasian female. It's a widespread stereotype. In my head, it's always like a, like a white girl, like a young white girl. In the media, it's always a thin, wide, middle-class, upper-class woman. But that's not the full picture, says researcher Karen Jennings-Mathis. The lifetime prevalence of any eating disorder among women of color is about the same or greater compared to white women. And that could be an underestimate, since people of color are less likely than white people to have been asked by a doctor about eating disorder symptoms, says psychiatrist Erica Daraja. 
Black women, for instance, are 25 to 40% less likely to be diagnosed with an eating disorder than white women. You may not necessarily even be screened for an eating disorder if you are a, a person of color. Brown, now 36, has struggled with anorexia and bulimia since she was a teenager, but she's never gotten treatment. You have insurance companies fighting you saying, oh, just eat. You have the doctors fighting you telling you, just eat. So it, it's really hard. It, it's extremely hard. Do you think it was even harder for you because you're a black woman? Oh, of course. Matter of fact, I went to a doctor's appointment back in October. The doctor told me an eating disorder is not serious enough. And I said, so if I die, would it then be serious enough? They don't take African-Americans serious. Eating disorders are among the deadliest mental illnesses, causing over 10,000 deaths a year. Brown's eating disorder has taken an enormous toll on both her and her girlfriend, who didn't want to be identified. She goes to support groups um, because of me, you know? And um, we've had very difficult conversations. She's like, I'm afraid I'm going to wake up and you're going to be dead. And I, I can't carry that on me. So I'm putting up my boundaries. My mental health has been affected because of your eating disorder. Brown moved out of the apartment they shared. She dropped out of her PhD program. She stopped calling her 88-year-old grandmother, whom she used to talk to multiple times a day. To me, eating disorder is like a whole nother person. And that person takes control over you. So that person will lie, manipulate, do whatever it is that it can do to keep that relationship and that bond with you. And that, if that means tearing down relationships and dynamics between your family, your friends, your mate, your job, your school, it's going to do it. The purposes and functions. For and many, outcomes. the isolation and uncertainty of the pandemic worsened or even triggered their eating disorder. Sarah Molina was a thriving high school senior when COVID hit. And then everything shut down and it kind of felt like very like out of control and then things just kept getting closed for longer and longer and longer. And it was like, oh, maybe we'll graduate. Oh, no, we're not graduating. Then it was like, oh, like our graduation might be like socially distanced. Then no, it was like a PowerPoint video. Sports were also canceled. I've played softball since I was like three or four and it was my senior season and it was just starting and then I never got to have it. And then also not being able to like exercise or like go out when like all that's like what I wanted to do. So Molina controlled what she could, her eating. When she got to college, her anorexia became more serious. I spent my 19th birthday starving myself. She described how it ruined her birthday in a column she wrote for the Indiana Daily Student. When we cut the cake, I had a piece. After all, it was my cake and my whole family was watching me. I took a bite and almost began to cry. It was a banana cake with white whipped cream frosting. It was one square piece of cake. Why was it so hard for me? Molina knew she needed help. I used to go on bike rides a lot or like runs or walks and I couldn't do any of that stuff just because like my legs were so weak and like I would notice when I was driving like I would have to take breaks to pull over because like my hands and my legs were shaking so much and like I couldn't find like the strength to like push down the pedal and stuff like that. Her doctors recommended inpatient treatment but most centers were full. There were no spots open and all the places we called like they would just be like sorry like no you can't come to this one. Molina ultimately got treatment last summer. But as eating disorders spiked and medical admissions more than doubled in the pandemic, 
Dr. Daraja says the demand for help has far outstripped supply. I don't know that we have enough resources or providers to actually meet the need, especially when we think about um, individuals experiencing eating disorders that are coming from different ethnic backgrounds, um, because we have to make sure that they are receiving appropriate and culturally appropriate care, and that's really, really hard to find. Gloria Lucas runs a support group for those with eating disorders in communities of color, Nalgona Positivity Pride. So what it means is that you're big booty positive. <laughs> Lucas sells merchandise on Etsy to raise awareness of people of color with eating disorders. Growing up the daughter of Mexican immigrants, she felt alone in her experience with binge eating and bulimia. Throughout those years, there was no awareness of it, a doc no doctor, my parents. It's challenging to ha hold those conversations. Um, especially when there's so much stigma on mental health and then there's so much hatred towards fatness. And so it, it just makes that conversation like it's hard. So Lucas started her own conversations. She posts regularly about positive body image and eating disorders to her 144,000 Instagram followers. But even with the support of her online community, the pandemic proved difficult. The eating disorder got worse. I mean, I feel, I always say that eating disorders thrive in isolation. And the whole pandemic was people being isolated. Lucas went to an outpatient program, which she says is a luxury. I was only able to go to treatment because I was offered a scholarship. A lot of folks don't recognize that financial hardship that black indigenous people of color experience or low income folks in general and treatment is very expensive. Lucas faced other barriers to treatment as well. Sometimes you have to explain yourself more than one way. A lot of these treatment centers are not created with people like myself in mind. And what I mean by that is culturally affirming um, spaces rather than inclusive, right? Because the whole idea of inclusive is that there's already a standard Jennings Mathis has studied diversity in the eating disorder field. The majority of individuals who are in this field do identify as white and the majority are female. And so that may mean that ind individuals who have an eating disorder and who identify as a person of color may not feel like they fit within that community. Trey Brown is trying to get her life back together. Hello, hi grandma. She recently called her grandmother for the first time in two months. Well, it's been so long. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank God. Brown hopes to access treatment soon with the help of a nonprofit. I want to be able to sit down with my family and enjoy a meal. You know, the last time I sat down with my family and ate a meal? 2009. I want to be able to do those things. And with this eating disorder, it's not possible unless I get help. Brown and so many we spoke to for this story have a message for people of color out there who may be struggling. You are not alone. For the PBS NewsHour, I'm Amna Nawaz. And if you or someone you know is struggling with an eating disorder, you can call the National Eating Disorders Helpline or get 24-7 crisis support by texting NEDA to 741-741. Carrie told me about the rest of the family and how nice they all were to her. In addition to Big Brother William,
There was another brother, Alan George, who also became a doctor. He flirted with me too. Those boys sure liked women. They liked them so much, they both became gynecologists. I found that a little weird, but not Carrie. In the 1800s, the man known as the father of gynecology advanced the field through painful experiments on enslaved women. Now, three of those women, known by the names Anarka, Lucy, and Betsy, are being celebrated as the mothers of gynecology. Recently, women's health professionals gathered at an art installation made in their honor. Cristela Guerra has more from Montgomery, Alabama. Are you ready? ready to walk? Yeah. Yeah. Don't let nobody Artist Michelle Browder leads the women in the song as they walk to the park, gathering in a circle around these towering mothers. On their bodies are names like Angela Davis, Serena Williams. Words like beauty and resilience are welded to their sides, while African beads adorn their necks. All of these women are bigger than life for me, right? So Anarka is 15 feet tall. Betsy is about, I think she's 12, and, and Lucy is nine feet tall. Anarka's hips are crafted from the spades of shovels. She faces the sky, defiant and hopeful. At the center of her body, her womb is a chasm for the world to see. Visitors place flowers at the feet of the sculptures. This is, after all, what doulas and midwives do. They protect mothers. We see our clients in this art. And we see the losses, we see the victories, we see the ones that make it just by the skin of their teeth. Um, and we see the fear. It's, it's all here. It's all here. It's all here. Denise Bolds, president of Doulas of North America, or Dona International, and former president Reve Sinclair want to empower families, to provide comfort, to see problems others might ignore, to call out the truth, which is that black mothers die in childbirth at disproportionate rates and are three to four times more likely to suffer complications during pregnancy. I had a mother message me this morning. She says, I have seven days to my expected due date. And I said, you made it, and you will continue to make it. She's with us because she's afraid to die. And I said, not on our watch. Brothers thought about Anarka, Lucy, and Betsy since she was 18. That's when she learned about how a white doctor named J. Marion Sims experimented on the bodies of enslaved black women without anesthesia. He claimed to have cured them of ailments that arose from pregnancy. So Browder took the tool he invented, the speculum, and created a tiara for Betsy's head. They were birthed out of pain, but also because I wanted to change the narrative. I wanted to change the conversation about black women in this country and what we have to contribute in the infant mortality rate and reproductive justice and maternal health. Conversations happened over two days inside Old Ship AME Zion Church. The conference was called the Day of Reckoning. They listened to Deirdre Cooper Owens, a historian of U.S. slavery medicine, describe how this legacy of medical racism persists. And so the embodied experiences of the legacy of medical racism is that we're not believed. We're thought to be able to withstand pain more. And class doesn't protect you. Education doesn't protect you. Your relationship status doesn't protect you. One of the last speakers was Charles Johnson, an Atlanta-based father who began the nonprofit For Kira for Moms after the loss of his wife from hemorrhage following the birth of their second son. In 2018, Johnson worked with lawmakers to pass the Preventing Maternal Deaths Act, 
which provides funding to better investigate and review incidents of maternal mortality. As we work to protect women and babies and put it into the maternal mortality crisis, it's also equally as important, if not more as important, that we protect our history and that these stories are told. There's a line Michelle Browder uses for the mothers of gynecology. It's from the playwright Antezaki Shange's work for colored girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow is enough. It reads, let her be born. Let her be born and handled warmly. For NPR News, I'm Cristela Guerra. In the Seattle area, you really need to earn six figures to buy a house these days. In Ballard, teardown homes are going for over a million dollars, and most one-bedroom apartments cost well over $2,000 a month. It makes it hard for people with lower-paying jobs to afford places to live, and that makes the neighborhood less diverse. KUOW's Joshua McNichols visited some people who found a way to live there anyway. No, you, no, you well, should I'm at the Karsty Apartments in Ballard. A dozen or so residents have gathered together in a shared kitchen. Because it, it's a pad of shoe. What does that mean? <laughs> right now they're admiring some St. Patrick's Day-themed green cream puffs. They were made by one of the residents, Dakota Robinson. I'm a pastry chef and I work here in Seattle. I've been doing it for like seven years, so... A pastry chef's salary is not enough to afford a standard apartment in Ballard. Other residents have similar stories. I'm the development and outreach coordinator for the Wallingford Community Senior Center. I work at Olympic Athletic Club. I'm the front desk manager. I work in the realm of substance use prevention and opioid use prevention. I work at this Taco Bell across the street just there. Their jobs are all close by, and most of them pay 30000 to 45000 a year. Logan Nelson is a manager at the town and country grocery store across the street. It's affordable for me to live here, and it's, it's sort of a situation if I, I don't think I could live in Ballard if I wasn't living in this apartment. I wouldn't be able to afford to live here. Here is not your usual apartment building. Rents started around $800. The apartments themselves are tiny, just 200 to 300 square feet. That's half the size of a studio apartment. But the shared social spaces in this building are huge. Big kitchens on every floor, a media room, a gym, and little nooks and crannies everywhere where you can hang out with your neighbors. Resident Danny Dinlocker Santiago says they hang out at least once a week. Yes, it's totally unique. Like when I tell people that I have community dinners, they're kind of like, what? All kinds of people live in the Karsty apartments from all kinds of backgrounds. That's something that resident Sanaya Simpson really noticed. It feels like we have just like this diverse bubble and it feels very safe and welcoming, especially when you live in an outside community that's not very diverse. Ballard has historically been fairly white. So how did this diverse bubble arise here? It started with an architect named David Neiman. There's a problem out there that um, has been growing throughout my career, that housing has become less and less affordable and it's become more of an obstacle to people's basic happiness and fulfillment. In the early 2010s, Neiman saw a new kind of housing emerge in Seattle, buildings packed with tiny apartments like a beehive. It was called microhousing. Apodments is one popular brand name, but a lot of people didn't like them in their neighborhoods and compared them to prison cells. So Seattle outlawed them in 2014 across most of the city. 
David Neiman says some critiques of microhousing were valid, but he also saw its promise, especially as housing costs continued to climb. He's come up with what he says is a better design that both residents and their neighbors will like. And he's built three of them as a demonstration in the few remaining spots where it's legal. We weren't the microhousing 1.0 people, but we want to be the microhousing 2.0 people, the people that figure out how to make this work, how to make it better, and how to make it a replicable model that other people are going to want to say, wow, that's great. I want to do that. This new kind of microhousing is still a beehive. It's those bigger social spaces that are new here. But the social spaces raise some new problems. Like if you're sharing a kitchen, how do you handle the situation when somebody steals your eggs from the fridge or leaves dishes in the sink? All that stuff is part of the challenges of living in community with other people. Um, and that's why we turn to a skilled operator like Open Door as a key part of making this work. Open Door is a company started by a few people in Oakland that shared a house together. They learned a few things as they grew, and they've created a method for managing conflict in cooperative living arrangements. Sanj Basha works for Open Door. Bringing a diverse group of people to truly create like a sense of belonging is a really difficult thing to do. Basha and the Open Door team screened renters to make sure they fully understood what cooperative living entails. I mean, there are chores, for example. But there are also rewards. A lot of friendships have sprung up in this building. And Basha says those relationships help the residents here feel at home in Ballard. You know that you're not just someone trying to make out in this world and go to work so you can pay your rent. But really, you're living like a purposeful life. Most people think of microhousing as just a cheap place to live. But Basha believes that the kind of microhousing at the Karsty Apartments contributes something more important to the neighborhood. What we're offering to the Ballard neighborhood that hasn't historically had a lot of diversity is really awesome, fun, cool people that are like, I don't know, spice up your life a little. Architect David Neiman is trying to convince Seattle that microhousing deserves a second look. Whether that's politically possible could depend on how neighbors feel about buildings like these. People like Dale Stenning, who lives on the same block. I don't love these buildings. As a resident in a single-family home that really appreciates these communities, they can feel invasive and alter the fabric of the community. But the diversity is much more important to me. And... I, I support it fundamentally. Another neighbor told me the residents at Karsty seem sort of idealistic about their cooperative lifestyle, but maybe they can pull it off. Mayor Bruce Harrell's office told me the mayor is open to re-examining the 2014 law that outlawed microhousing in most of Seattle. That doesn't mean the law will change for sure, but he's going to look at it. Joshua McNichols, KUOW News. You know like when you go to the Caribbean? You know like when you go to the Caribbean, you land... And you get in that van, that drive, that scary-ass drive from the airport to the resort. And you're looking out the window, you're like, what the fuck? What the fuck is this shit? Oh, my God! Whoa! You see little kids eating dreadlocks? Ah, 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 ah. You see Shabba Rank stabbing a dog? Shabba! 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 See, people looking like they never saw a car before. 
Will, Will. And then you get to the resort and you're like, Jamaica's nice. This weekend, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge finished a week-long visit to former British colonies in the Caribbean, Belize, Jamaica and the Bahamas. The trip comes after Barbados cut ties to the monarchy and became a republic last year. During the so-called Charm Offensive, the British Commonwealth countries, the royals were met with protests calling for reparations for slavery. A government committee in the Bahamas urged the royals to issue a, quote, full and formal apology for their crimes against humanity. In one meeting, Jamaica Jamaica's Prime Minister, Andrew Holness, told Prince William his country would be, quote, moving on to become a republic. For more, we go to Jamaica to speak with a member of the Jamaican Parliament who met the royals during their tour and was accused of snubbing the Duchess, Kate Middleton, but says photographs that show her looking away misrepresent their cordial exchange. Lisa Hanna is a senior member of Jamaica's Parliament for the Opposition and a shadow minister for foreign affairs and foreign trade. She has a new piece in The Guardian headlined, I Did Not Snub Kate Middleton, But Jamaica Needs More Than Royal Regrets Over Slavery. Welcome to Democracy Now! It's great to have you with us. Um, Thank you. Can you just tell us exactly what happened and what you're calling for? Well, the truth is, uh, you want to know what happened with the meeting, or you wanted to know what happened with what I'm calling for on the whole? Both. Okay. So I was at the airport representing the leader of the opposition, both myself and the Minister of Foreign Affairs and Foreign Trade. And we met the Duchess of Cambridge, and we met um, Prince William coming off the plane, and we had cordial conversations. I think, like in anything else, there perhaps may have been a moment when um, a manipulated type of two-second video would have made it appear as if I turned away from her. But there was nothing which, in that entire meeting would have given the impression to her or to anyone else, based on the many, many photos and videos that are circulating online, that we had nothing but a respectful, cordial, fun-loving conversation. You know, I welcomed her. It was her first time to Jamaica and told her some of the things that she could do apart from what she was doing in the, in the official duties. So that is what had happened. And I think the British press, ra rather than looking at the matters at hand, which are critical and important and urgent, chose to use an, a personalities to trump, you know, the more important issues at hand. So that became more viral, I, I guess, to, to subdue the issues of reparations and what the country was actually feeling. And indeed, many CARICOM nations are feeling at this point in terms of how we would like to, you know, engage the United Kingdom government on where we need to now go as a region. I'm looking at some signs um, that um, uh, say uh, no to the royal family in all different ways. Um, what are the steps for Jamaica to become a republic and remove Queen Elizabeth as head of state? Okay, you can either go through a referendum or you can amend the constitution. So you can either put it to a vote of the country or we can amend the constitution. So it's not a difficult thing to do. Barbados has done it, um, and they did it with, with elegance, and I think they were very respectful in the way that they have done it. And we have significantly been calling for Jamaica to have its own head of state 
removing the monarchy as our head of state, not only because I, we believe that as a nation, we have the ability to do it on our own and to chart our own course into the future, but also because Jamaicans don't really benefit from having the monarchy as our head of state. You know, ordinary Jamaicans, it's very difficult for Jamaicans to get a visa to go to the United Kingdom. And certainly this region, Jamaicans as well, after World War II were part of the Windrush generation. And we saw what happened with many of them last year and the appreciation that they gave. I mean, now they're trying to, to step up. But we have a lot of respect for nations around the world. The, the beauty about who we are as Jamaicans is we will tell you how we feel. It doesn't mean after that we won't play a game of dominoes or have a drink. But we are unabashed in our resolve to make you understand that there were atrocities, there are crimes against humanity. You know, the systemic injustice and racial indignation that, that black people feel as a result of 300 years of being bludgeoned by another race and, in fact, by the monarchy is something that just doesn't go away. So the CARICOM Commission has put forward a 10-point plan, um, which looks to some of the, the dialogue that we'd like to have and some of the things that we believe ought to come out of reparations. Other countries have paid reparations. I think the only time that the UK has, has paid reparations was in Kenya, to the Kenyans um, for the uprising between the Momo and the, and, and the UK government in seeking um, their own freedom. So we must look at how um, colonialism has impacted the inequality, the inequity, the lack of opportunity, the way that no schools were left in the Caribbean per se, there were no health facilities, there was, were no economic opportunities, because what Britain did was to pay the slave owners and the plantation owners when slavery came to an end for their losses. The slaves never got anything. And so if you have that kind of setback from then, but what we're saying, and what I said also in the Guardian piece, is that this should be used as a tipping point for the royals, the young royals in particular, to reset how they see their leadership charting away into the future with more enthusiasm to, for a fairer global society. You mentioned the Windrush generation. And if you can explain for the many who are not familiar um, with this yes. population in Britain, that Britain actually tried to deport after a period of time, explain who they are. The Windrush generation, and thank you for that, the Windrush generation are my grandmothers, my 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 the older generation after World War II. So when World War II ended, the United Kingdom called for um, able-bodied persons from the colonies to come and help rebuild the railroads, the roads, the buildings um, after the war. And it was Jamaicans and others who went to the United Kingdom to rebuild those facilities. They're the ones who rebuilt it. They're the ones who said put their, their sweat, their time, their effort. And what had happened was some of, their, some of them and some of their children were not properly documented. And quite recently, um, many of them were deported after so many years of being there. And it was a, it was a scandal in the UK. And the Foreign Office had to very, very quickly um, because it, it was it was heinous, it was it was hurtful, it was unbelievable, certainly to many of us in Jamaica and the Caribbean who have 
relatives there from way back as the 1950s and the late 1940s to recognize that this had actually happened. And that's the Windrush generation. Mm. They I were the ones who built. I want to go back to Prince William. And I'm wondering, MP Hannah, if you had a conversation with either him or Kate Middleton, but most importantly, of course, what exactly you're calling for. If you can talk about the whole reparations movement, the CARICOM Reparations Commission that you were a part of a few years ago, what are we talking about here? Well, you would have seen that I said that I didn't think both Prince William and Prince Charles were very bold or courageous in, in what they said, because condemnation without action is, is, is hollow. And so while we appreciate the royal regrets, which is what I said, it, it doesn't go far enough. What we would like to see is you condemn something, you say sorry for it, and you say, here's what we are going to do to right those wrongs of history. And what can happen, and Prince William is in a unique position now with where the world is, to look to his leadership of shaping and charting a new, fairer global society, especially for black people. And he would be remembered for that. So he should take up that 10-point CARICOM reparations plan. Let us look at it. Let us look at the healthcare um, requests that we're looking at or suggestions. Let us look at the museums. Let us look at the, 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 the technical transfer. Let us look at debt cancellation. Let us look, first of all, at the apology. Let us look at the fact that there was tremendous genocide, you know, that was basically um, perpetrated by the United Kingdom on millions of black people who came to the Caribbean. Let's let's start there. It's it's not ab only abhorrent. It you have to get stronger in your actions, and that's what people want to see. Gone are the days when we would just accept a beautiful speech. That doesn't placate us because words without actions only offend us, and that's that's what I think you saw. When, when they came. And I think the prince and the duchess need to see this as an opportunity. It was an important trip for them. And rather than see it as a turbulent start, it's just the start. It's not the end of their journey. And they should use this start as a tipping point to shape how they're going to lead in their ascendancy. Lisa Hanna, we want to thank you so much for being with us, senior member of Jamaica's parliament. Shit, there ain't a white man in this room that would change places with me. None of you. None of you would change places with me, and I'm rich. That's how good it is to be white. There's a white one-leg busboy in here right now that won't change places with my black ass. He's going, nah, man, I don't want to switch. I want to ride this white thing out, see where it takes me. That's right. So when you white, the sky's the limit. When you black, the limit's the sky. That's right, man. Providing reparations only for those who can prove their descendancy from enslaved Africans 
is yet another win for white supremacy because it dismisses and devalues the harms done to African descendants, not enslaved here, but who were injured by slavery due to their blackness once they entered the shores of America. Loyola Marymount University professor Cheryl Grills, a member of the California Reparations Task Force, advocating that the group consider paying reparations to all black Californians, roughly two and a half million people. But after a six-hour meeting yesterday, the members voted five to four on a more narrow proposal to pay reparations only to black Californians who can prove a direct connection to slavery, either an ancestor who was enslaved or a free black person living in the United States during the 19th century. Well, this episode illustrates just how hard it is to find a way to atone for America's 400-year-old original sin. We're going to talk about this now with Marnie Campbell, historian at Loyola Marymount and the chair of the African American Studies Department. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, uh, tell us your reaction to what they have voted on, that this money should only go to people who can prove their connection to slavery. Well, I think it's um, it's very limited and it's going to be difficult for people to prove. Um, and that's quite unfortunate. Why will it be difficult for people to prove? I think it'll be difficult because um, those those lines can be very, very hard to trace. So some people may have all of the paperwork, you know, and the family histories um, already on them, with them, and and know about their history. And there will be many people who do not and who can't um, trace either through, um, you know, their their own family passing down information or through census um, records, this information that that's needed. Right. And so what kind, if you wanted to try to explore your roots and to try to find the connection, what would you have to do? What kind of work would you have to do? Right. And, and so, you know, that's, that's the hard part. Um, initially, you would start within your own family to find out what documentation is there, um, where people were, you know, were born, what kind of, if, if they were free, or if they were enslaved, you've got to track that down. A lot of times people will go to, you know, the, the, the websites, the providers like ancestry.com, um, they can look up census indices to find out, you know, to kind of trace their family back and those kinds of things. So it's a lot of legwork. Um, but if you if you don't have that documentation, you go on speculation. Um, that's not to say that the speculation could be wrong. It just may not match up with what's on paper um, or on file. And And there are lots of documents that um, may have been preserved. And there are also documents that have been lost. For example, we don't have an 1890, um, complete 1890 census, um, because it burned in a fire, Hmm. right? And so, so that means you're skipping an entire decade of information. And as people moved throughout the country as people, you know, settled in different places. Um, Sometimes names were changed. Sometimes census takers misunderstood what they were saying and and wrote down something else. And that may not match up with what your own documentation 
um, is. And so there's got to be a way to kind of sift through um, those discrepancies as well. So it can be very difficult. Well, talk a little bit, if you would, about California's history when it comes to slavery. The state entered the Union as a free state in 1850, but there was slavery in California, right? Absolutely. And in fact, those, um, you know, many of those legislators who drafted the state constitution were themselves slaveholders, and they decided not to intervene or interfere with another state's right to own slaves. So that it became, it was basically legal in California for slaveholders to bring their slaves here um, and not be challenged. Um, even though there are a few cases, they weren't really challenged and were allowed to maintain their slaveholding status um, as long as well as, um, you know, kept slaves um, in a slave status. And so, um, you know, even though it was a free state, there there were lots of ways that that slaves were brought into um, California and and did a lot of labor in the state um, between 1850 and 1865. And there's also an entire period of our history where we were part of Mexico before that. So would that also be included, um, slavery under, under Mexican rule? Um, and do you, by included, do you mean in the history or in, in, the in the reparations? Yeah, you know that's that is to be determined. I I'm not under I I'm not under the understanding that it is um, to be included, um, especially because it's a different system. Um, but but it is a question that should be dealt with. What do you think is a better way of dealing with this? Yeah, um, I, I think there. I think it's clear. Um, we have we have plenty of um, scholarly works um, that have have very much shown and proven that African Americans in this country and in this state particularly um, have been um, have have felt the effects of slavery um, and have been have been treated um, not as equals to um, white people in this country. And so I, I think that's that's well documented. And so I think it would be better if we were able to deal with the larger issues um, that have formed the structure that maintains um, black people or keeps black people in a position where they are constantly um, left behind um, economically um, and and otherwise politically, socially, um, and so if if that if those structures were um, addressed to to better help African Americans in this in the state and country as a whole, I think would be a better way to mm. to to attack the the problem. It's a systemic problem that has occurred, you know, since slavery. And has lasted ever ever since, um, even after long after slavery ends ended, even until today. And mm-hmm. so I think you know where all African Americans are affected, just like 
um, all white people in this country um, are affected by by slavery in a different way, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, many, many white people have benefited from slavery, maybe directly or indirectly. Um, and and so 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 to have black people, um, you know, um, dealt with the consequences of slavery um, directly and indirectly. So in terms of reparations, then, would you favor giving money to all the African-American Black people in California? I favor giving all Black people an equal opportunity um, to to have access to all of the things that allow white people and others um, the um the statuses that they keep um the privileges that they have and so um you know money is part of it but i think again there are larger systemic issues that need to be addressed so that even no matter how much money you have um you know you may still fall victim to racism and mm-hmm. and things like that and so there I so what I'm saying is I favor something that is more sort of broadly effective for um black people and mm-hmm. and that that means accumulating wealth not just not just cash but accumulating ways to accumulate wealth that's property and land ownership that's um securing ways to um own businesses and and things like that um health access to health care um both mental health and physical health dental care those kinds of things i think all of those things um are are things that black people are are typically um have have been left out of or have been you know sort of given the short end of the stick and those are just some examples of things that Black people need in order to really obtain that that equal status. Mm-hmm. That also means education, access to education, and it means educating broadly so that people, um, you know, can dismantle um, racist ideas. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And what does Daddy get for all his work? The big piece of chicken. That's all Daddy gets. Is the big piece of chicken. That's right. And some women don't want to give up the big piece of chicken. Who the fuck is you to keep the big piece of chicken? How dare you keep the big piece of chicken? A man can't work 12 hours and come home to a wing? Could focusing the government's attention on those who are most marginalized in the U.S. be the best way to help the entire economy for everyone? That's what a new congressional report titled Black Women Best aims to prove. The more than 100-page report suggests turning trickle-down economics on its head and instead giving financial breaks, tax credits, and other benefits to those who are struggling the most. Democratic Congresswoman Bonnie Watson Coleman is the co-chair of the Congressional Caucus on Black Women and Girls, the group that commissioned the report, and she joins us now. Good morning. Good morning. Congratulations to you on your new program. Oh, thank you so much. So I, the first question I wanted to ask is, is why focus an economic framework around Black women? 
because black women have been overburdened by the disparities. Black women have been overburdened by the inequities. If we have uh, economic stability, predictability, and dependability, if we support child tax credits, if we support additional resources into child uh, care, then everybody benefits. One thing that the report talked about as far as changing the structure of the way things are looked at policy-wise was having the Federal Reserve change the way it approaches monetary policy by targeting Black unemployment rather than looking at the overall unemployment numbers. Like, like what would that mean in practical terms, especially since Black unemployment has historically been around twice as high as white unemployment? Well, that's exactly one of the historical problems that that kind of would be addressed. We see announcements being made every day about where we are in our economy. We'll say, well, we've created uh, 6.5 million jobs over the last two years. Our unemployment rate has gone from 9% to 4%. And then you'll see, and Black women are 25%, and Black men are 23%. And that information is added on, perhaps, in the announcement, but it isn't evaluated and appreciated as something that needs to be focused on. By using the Black woman best thinking and their scorecard, it's a way of establishing an accountability that we think is based in reality, lived experiences, research. Even some of the proposals that seem very, very bold, it shows that they work. There are all kinds of opportunities to do the right thing and do it substantively. Well, and Congresswoman, I I have to ask you, because you talked about some of the bold proposals, the report does call for things like expanding the child tax credit, expanded income tax credit, and expanding the social safety net. But in Congress, there has been concern about spending. Um, President Biden's Build Back Better plan was deemed to be too expensive. So how do these things get done? Of course, we need senators and Congress members who get it and will recognize that if you approach your work in this manner, you're not just elevating Black women. This is not about giving us any sort of platform that puts us up there above anybody else. What it does is it elevates the lowest among us in terms of those criteria that we think represent stability and security and and good health and well-being and provides those platforms for everybody. President Biden came into office promising that he would not forget the Black voters. And you mentioned a scorecard. How would you score this administration's policies in terms of Black women best? I would score his policies B, maybe B+. I would score his success much lower, but not because so much of him, but particularly because of a Senate that is so out of touch. 2022 is really important so that we really got to do what we need to do to ensure that we are putting people in office that get it and they get it on, on behalf of the protection and the opportunity and the fairness of those who are most burdened by the systemic racism and artificial barriers that have been created that interfere with our being able to grow, raise, and protect the next generation. 
That's Representative Bonnie Watson Coleman telling us about the upcoming Black Women Best Congressional Report. Congresswoman, thank you. Thank you, and best wishes to you. Everybody want to save the environment. Should I see trees every fucking day? Picture two circles. One is the modern environmental movement, and the other is the far-right movement, including anti-immigrant and white supremacist groups. In the Venn diagram with these two circles, how much do you think they overlap? Part of making America great again is making it green again. We know there's there's information out there that says that every time someone crosses the border, they're leaving between six and eight pounds of trash in the desert. Now, this trash Illegal immigration comes at a huge cost to our environment. Researchers say this intersection between the far right and environmentalism is bigger than many people realize, and it's growing. As climate change kind of turns up the heat, there's going to be... <clears throat> all sorts of new kind of political contestations around these issues. Alex Amond used to track hate groups at the Southern Poverty Law Center, and these days he researches eco-fascism. He says once you start to look at this overlap, you find two big misconceptions. One, that the right is always a climate denialist movement, and two, that environmental politics are always going to be left-leaning. Let's take those one at a time, starting with the idea that the far right always rejects environmental arguments. Conservative leaders have certainly denied climate change in the because past. Because this is a worldwide hoax. From Rush Limbaugh to Donald Trump. It is. It's probably getting a little bit warmer, and then in a number of years or decades, it'll get a little bit cooler. But today, a different argument is becoming more common on the conservative political fringe. On the podcast, The People's Square, a musician who goes by Storm King described his vision for a far-right reclamation of environmentalism. Right-wing environmentalism in this country is mostly, especially in more modern times, an untried attack vector. And yeah. it has legs, in my opinion. Attack vector is an apt choice of words because this ideology has been used in literal attacks. No! In El Paso, Texas, in 2019, a mass shooter killed more than 20 people and wounded more than 20 others. He told authorities he was targeting Mexicans, and he also left behind a manifesto. Quote, the decimation of the environment is creating a massive burden for future generations. The shooter wrote, if we can get rid of enough people, then our way of life can be more sustainable. He titled that manifesto, An Inconvenient Truth which was also the name of Al Gore's Oscar-winning 2006 documentary about climate change. KTAR News, Newsmaker. Anti-immigrant environmental arguments pop up in more official places, too, like court filings. We are talking with Arizona Attorney General Mark Brnovich about his new lawsuit against the federal government claiming that stopping wall building is a violation of the Environmental Protection Act. Local news station KTAR interviewed Arizona Attorney General Brnovich last year about this case. Brnovich argued that because migrants leave trash in the desert, a border wall is needed to protect the environment. That trash is a threat to wildlife. It's a threat to natural habitat. To be clear, mainstream environmental organizations take the opposite view, that a wall will harm ecosystems on the border. This strain of anti-immigrant environmentalism may be growing today, but it isn't new. And that brings us to misconception number two, that environmental politics are always left-leaning. The truth is, eco-fascism has a long history in the U.S. and in Europe. Blair Taylor is a researcher at the Institute for Social Ecology. The idea that natural purity translates into racial or national purity, 
That was one that was very central to the Nazis' environmental discourse. Quote, unquote, unspoiled forest goes hand in hand with racial purity or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Nazis saw themselves as environmentalists. In the 90s, when Taylor started reading books about the environmental movement, he stumbled upon some ideas that seemed very wrong. There is this earlier, very nativist, exclusionary, and racist history of environmental thought that was very much based on this idea of nature as a violent, competitive, and ultimately very hierarchical domain where, you know, white Europeans were at the top. So that's been rediscovered, I think, by the alt-right. Taylor was kind of horrified to learn that in some ways the environmental movement was founded on ideas of white supremacy. The word ecology was even coined by a German scientist, Ernst Haeckel, who also contributed to the Nazis' ideas about a hierarchy of races. And this history applies to the United States, too. I am the author of The Rise of the American Conservation Movement, Power, Privilege, and Environmental Protection. That's Yale University professor Dorsita Taylor. Her research helped reveal this American environmental history that had not been widely known. We see a taking of Native American lands to turn into park spaces that are described as empty, untouched by human hands, pristine, to be protected. So this is where the language of preservation really crosses over into this narrative of of exclusion. Taylor read the notes and diaries of early American environmentalists and learned that the movement to preserve natural spaces in the U.S. was partly motivated by a backlash against the racial mixing of American cities. White elites, especially white male elites, wanted to leave the spaces where there was racial mixing. And this discomfort around racially mixed neighborhood infuses the discourse of those early conservation leaders. So the connections between environmentalism and xenophobia in the U.S. are long and deep. In recent years, some prominent groups have begun to publicly confront their own exclusionary history, like the Sierra Club. We're not going to just pretend that the problem's not happening. We're actually going to begin to do the responsible thing and then begin to address it. Hop Hopkins is the Sierra Club's Director of Organizational Transformation. And the organization went through its own transformation. In the 20th century, the group embraced racist ideas that overpopulation was the root of environmental harm. In fact, in 1998 and again in 2004, anti-immigrant factions tried to stage a hostile takeover of the Sierra Club's national board. They failed. But the group learned a lesson from those experiences. You can't just ignore these ideas or wish them away. We need to be educating our base about these dystopian ideas and the scapegoating that's being put upon Black, Indigenous, and people of color working class communities such that they're able to identify these messages that may sound like they're environmental but we need to be able to discern that they're actually very racist. Do you ever encounter people who say, I believe in the environmental movement, I believe in the racial justice movement, these two things have nothing to do with each other? I encounter it on a daily basis, and that's part of the reason why I do the work that I do. That work goes beyond identifying the racism and bigotry in the environmental movement. It also means articulating a vision that can compete with ecofascism. Because as climate change increases, more people will go looking for some narrative to address their fears of collapse, says Professor Emerita Betsy Hartman of Hampshire College. If you have this apocalyptic doomsday view of climate change, the far right can use that doomsday view to its own strategic advantage. 
So we're letting an opening happen that doesn't need to be there. In that way, the threat of ecofascism has something in common with climate change itself. The problem is visible now, and there is time to address it. But the longer people wait, the harder it's going to be. Nothing more racist than an old black man. You know why? Because an old black man went through some real racism. He didn't go through that, I can't get a cab shit. He was the cab. White man just jumped on his back. Main Street! Left, nigga! Left, nigga! Left, you fucking nigga! The city of Chicago broke the law in refusing a CBS2 public records request about racism and discrimination among city workers. That's the assessment from the Illinois Attorney General, and it made that after a rare binding opinion issued last week. Morning Insider Tim McNicholas takes us long for his quest for answers. A broken and corrupt political machine. Mayor Lori Lightfoot campaigned on transparency. In fact, she said a victory would earn her a mandate to clean up City Hall. Uh, make it much more transparent and accountable for sure. But for the majority of her time in office, City Hall has fought our public records request for any complaints of racism, harassment, or discrimination at this streets and sanitation yard. Our quest for information started back in 2020 when a black garbage truck driver named Heidi McGee got a text from a white supervisor containing the N-word, infuriating McGee and her husband, who is also a streets and sanitation worker. There's a culture of similar things that happen to us as well as others, and most definitely worse. I think other people have um, similar stories. I, um, I really do. For a year and a half. Well, we're with Channel 2. I'm a reporter. It's fine. You can tip. just do it outside. Well, there the city has refused to answer our questions or comply with our public records request through the Freedom of Information Act. This is a particularly egregious violation. A violation of the law, if you ask public records attorney Matt Topic, The city's position was baseless and that this is particularly important information under the Freedom of Information Act for the public to have access to. The Illinois Attorney General agrees. The AG's office issued a binding opinion from its public access counselor, which only happens about 10 times a year, stating that the city violated the requirements of the Freedom of Information Act. A binding opinion from the Attorney General is enforceable in court. Very encouraging. It's a signal that this is very important information and that the city's position was particularly unfounded. The binding opinion says the records contain many general descriptions of alleged discrimination or harassment by city employees while on the job. The AG says the city needs to release the records immediately. Tim McNicholas, CBS2 News. The city has argued that they can't release the complaints due to employee privacy concerns. So we reached out to ask if they finally plan to comply with the law, and we haven't gotten an answer on that. In trying to understand the world of black hair, I've been all over the world, and I've talked to all sorts of people. I've seen sodium hydroxide in its rawest form and in the heads of four-year-old girls. I've seen some people pay thousands for hair and others give it away to God. I've learned that the black hair industry generates billions of dollars, mostly for white people and Asians. I've hung out with the best hairdressers in the country and watched a thrilling hair competition. I've seen black women work hard in their own businesses to give other black women straight hair. So, so what, what do, do I, I tell, tell my, my daughter? daughter? 
I tell them that the stuff on top of their heads is nowhere near as important as the stuff inside their heads. Some people say there's too much violence in movies. Well, they should have seen Sunday's Oscars. We could be talking about how Coda, the Apple TV movie about growing up in a deaf family, became the first film distributed by a streaming service to win Best Picture, or West Side Story's Ariana DeBose being named Best Supporting Actress, the first openly queer woman of colour to do so. But instead, everybody's talking about how Hollywood A-lister Will Smith marched onto the stage in order to hit comedian Chris Rock, who just made a gag at his wife's expense. Take a listen. I'm out here. Uh oh, Richard. <laughs> oh wow, wow. Will Smith just smacked the <laughs> out of me. Our entertainment correspondent Colin Patterson reports from the Vanity Fair party in Hollywood. Will Smith was sitting in the front row of the Oscars because he was nominated for Best Actor for playing Venus and Serena Williams' father, Richard Williams, in King Richard. He's sitting next to his wife, Jada Pinkett Smith, who has very short hair. If you follow her on social media, you would know she has alopecia. Chris Rock, the comedian, is going to present the Best Documentary category. He starts making jokes, including one where he says, Jada, I love you. G.I. Jane 2. I can't wait to see it. A reference to when Demi Moore shaved her head to play G.I. Jane. Now, Will Smith at first laughs, turns to look at his wife, who is not happy at all because he's in the front row within two big strides. He is on the stage heading towards Chris Rock. It's important to say his fist is not clenched. It is open, but he hits him with real force and then walks back to his seat. People knew Will Smith was favourite to win Best Actor, so would have to get on the stage and make a speech if he did that. Sure enough, 20 minutes later, Later, Will Smith wins Best Actor, makes his way onto the stage. I was surrounded by about 50 press people. I have never seen everyone go so silent and hang on every single word of a winner's speech at the Oscars. He starts off by saying Richard Williams was a fierce defender of his family. He goes on to say how if you're in this industry you have to take abuse. He then says that Denzel Washington gave him advice a few minutes ago saying your highest moment, when you're at your highest moment, be careful. That's where the devil comes for you. Then he apologizes to the Academy. He apologizes to his fellow nominees. He does not apologize to Chris Rock. LAPD say they're not going to investigate because the, the slapping uh, has not had been reported to them yet. Almost everyone I asked for an opinion on the matter strangely didn't see it. One person who did speak about it, Rebel Wilson, who hosted the BAFTAs only two weeks ago, so knows all about being on a stage and cracking jokes at actors' expense. Here's what she had to say. It was kind of hard to watch, I guess, um, because it's probably the best night of his life in a way and then also might have some repercussions so i guess it's um yeah it's tricky to see what's going to happen and you hosted the baftas is what happened tonight going to affect how people make jokes at these kind of events i think a comedian's job is always to walk that line of what's acceptable that's part of comedy and it's part of you know historically when the joker was in the royal court the you know the poor joker had the job 
to to tread and make fun of people and you know uh, so historically that's always been comedian's role. The Australian actress Rebel Wilson speaking to our correspondent Colin Patterson in Los Angeles. The gay rights movement is changing everything. Non-binary, intersex, or gender non-conforming Americans may soon choose a gender-neutral X on their passports. The Biden administration made the announcement yesterday on the annual Transgender Day of Visibility. NPR's Melissa Block reports. The X gender marker is designated for people of unspecified or another gender identity besides male or female. The State Department said the X marker will be respectful of individuals' privacy while advancing inclusion. Here's spokesman Ned Price. Today and every day, we reaffirm our commitment to promoting and protecting the freedom, the dignity, the equality of all persons, including transgender, non-binary, and gender non-conforming persons around the world. For LGBTQ advocates, it's a proud moment. It's huge. That's Sasha Bookert, non-binary and transgender rights project director at Lambda Legal, which for years fought for this policy change in court. Before this change for non-binary folks and intersex folks or, or folks that, you know, fall somewhere between the gender markers, it places them in this really untenable bind where they have to show an identification that basically says that they're a different person than they are. The Transportation Security Administration will also allow the X option for its TSA PreCheck program. And later this year, TSA will update its body scanning technology at airports, which will reduce the need for pat-downs that have been especially worrisome for transgender travelers. The Biden administration's moves are extremely significant, says Sarah Kate Ellis, head of the LGBTQ advocacy organization GLAAD. And she says they're especially key at this moment to counter the wave of anti-trans legislation being passed around the country. This administration has squarely stood on the side of transgender, gender nonconforming and intersex folks and has been very vocal about that. And the context to this is incredibly important as we're seeing over 200 anti-LGBTQ bills, most of them targeted at the trans community. The U.S. will join at least 15 countries that offer a third gender or gender-neutral option on passports, including Argentina, Canada, and India. U.S. citizens will be able to choose the X gender marker on their passport application beginning on April 11th. Melissa Block, NPR News. Now, how many of you are familiar with the Chris Rock routine? Oh, very good. Okay. How come Chris Rock can do a routine... And everybody finds it hilarious and groundbreaking. And then I go and do the exact same routine, same comedic timing, and people file a complaint to corporate. Is it because I'm white and Chris is black? So we're going to reenact this with a more positive outcome. I will play the Chris Rock guy. I would like to see someone else pull this off. Well, let's have someone who wasn't involved in the reenactment. Okay, uh, I will play guy listening. Great, guy listening. Okay, uh, anyone else remember? I remember. Great. You're the Chris Rock guy, and you're a guy listening. Okay. Basically, there are two types of black people, and black people are actually more racist because they hate the other type of black people. See, every time the one type wants to have a good time, then the other type comes in and makes a real mess. I'm, okay, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. He's, he's ruined. He's butchering it. I, I'm, could you just let me... Every time... Every time black people want to have a good time, some ignorant ass oh, no. I can't care my kids. Wait, wait, wait. 
There's been zero follow-up, zero follow-through, zero accountability. Dr. Elise Verscher is demanding answers from the Sacramento City Unified School District. I am not surprised that the investigation has been taken five months. The district, along with Sacramento police, are still investigating a hate crime that happened at West Campus High in November. Verscher is the vice principal and says students spray-painted the N-word five times near her assigned parking spot. We know the students responsible. They went on social media, continue to go on social media even now to publicly harass me. Wow! Hey, yo, drama, hold up, sir. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Stop the motherfucking record. Right. Uh, I don't want us to lose sight that, that, that things are getting better. Getting better. Each successive generation, generation, generation uh, uh, seems to be seems making to be progress, progress in, in changing attitudes when, when it comes to race. race. Doesn't, mean doesn't mean we're in a post-racial post society. society. Doesn't mean doesn't racism, mean racism is eliminated. eliminated. But you know when I talk to William and Sasha, and I listen to their friends and I see them interact, they're better than we are. They're better than we were than we were on these issues. And that's true in every community that I've visited all across the country. We know the students responsible. They went on social media, continue to go on social media even now to publicly harass me. The school has everything that is needed, but what they fail to do is take responsibility. Attorney Rodney Diggs is working with Verscher to file a civil lawsuit against the district. Dr. Verscher is seeking damages because, again, the school district is failing to take accountability and they have denied all liability um, as a result of the harassment discrimination uh, that Dr. Verscher has sustained um, while an employee with the school district. It's just been a persistent dragging, sweeping this case under the rug with the district. The pain keeps growing the longer the investigation takes place. What else? You got any soda? One dollar. Oh, come on now. Look out for a brother, man. Come on. Hey, check this out. Why don't you let me get a sip for 15 cents? My cups cost more than... 15 cents. All right, fuck the cup. Pour in my hand for a dime. Look, you greasy-headed Jerry Curl Wynn. Pay me and get the hell out of my store. He's been severely traumatized. A Portland man is suing Red Robin for a million dollars over what his attorneys call a traumatizing experience. Attorneys representing the man tell K2 he found semen in his salad after a confrontation with an employee. They say it happened about a year ago at a Red Robin in Clackamas. They claim the man and his family went out to eat and management told them they couldn't seat them together, that his party of six was too large. They say his family was also referred to as a gang, something he found offensive given he's a black man and his family is of mixed race. They eventually sat down to eat, and according to attorneys, it wasn't until the man was halfway finished with his food that he says there was semen in his salad. Now his lawyers are hoping DNA evidence will show who is responsible. There's no debate that the substance was semen and that it wasn't his. Now it's just a question of whose who semen was it. The truth is, this is a case where DNA is going to provide us an answer, right? I mean, somebody's it's somebody's semen. 
Attorneys say they're waiting for DNA results from law enforcement. The Clackamas County Sheriff's Office is investigating. We reached out to Red Robin for a comment. Have not heard back. We'll keep you updated as we learn more. Already we go, man. We told him, man. Ready? You better be ready, homeboy. But you owe a whole lot of people, man. You're me. You're yourself. You're the whole community, man. You even owe my mother. You know what I'm saying? Now, I don't know what you got left in your so-called rehabilitated little body here or whatever, but you better find something, because you owe a lot of people, man. You're a lot of people. You owe poop. Context of white supremacy. Gus T. Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Saturday, April 2nd, 2022. So I have been told ice tea much obliged our weekly compensatory call in dial in if you have thoughts questions observations the number 720-716-7300 the code 564-943 pound press star 61 if you would like to participate number again 720-716-7300 the code 564-943-POUND press star 61 if you would like to participate few things to share before we get to the callers this broadcast not for spectators Uh, for one live feed was updated man it took so much harassing like to be on the air for 13 years like my gosh oh the labor of counter racism man those folks at tune in Mr. Reed said, hey, I sent them the information to update the station like more than a week ago. I sent them the information. Just, you know, double down. Maybe they'll be quick about it. I wait. Days pass. No update. But can't listen to the live feed. Email again. They email me back. So it's been a week at this point. All right. Mr. Renegade, we updated the feed at TuneIn. So everything's straight and all this other and all this should be all fresh and live and ready to go in two hours. Eight hours later, it still hasn't been updated. I email again. What is going on? Is this the best you can do for customer service? Send all the at no point does anyone email me back. You didn't you didn't send us the correct information. You idiot. You can't read. That's you niggers. You didn't, you know, do what you're supposed to do. We told you to go here and fill it out. And you did no point. Was it that? Finally, today they send another email. Like, okay, 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 okay. We finally updated your server. Should be correct. And it is. Only took a week and a half. So tune in. Cal Station. The address is uh, on Twitter, Facebook, all the social media uh, outlets. I think you can even just search tune in. T-U-N-E-I-N. The cows and bang, should pop up. You'll be able to hear the live feed. You'll be able to hear us right now stream it in your vehicle your phone download the app you should be good to go content also plays uh, on demand when we're not live but once we're live you can call in 
or listen via TuneIn. Incidentally, I did post a link on my blog, racism-notes.blogspot.com. You can listen there as well. It is the top post. Uh, I had my review for King Richard there as well, but directly above that most recent post. You can listen live right there as well. You can always call in. Much obliged for your participation. Uh, we are listener-supported counter-racist radio. Invest if you think the program is constructive. At that blog, racism-notes.blogspot.com. PayPal button is in the top right corner. Uh, beneath the button, you should see the links for Cash App, Venmo, uh, ca- uh, PayPal, all of the above. Uh, much obliged to all of the investors who have kept the cows on the air for 13 plus years. I hope we have been worthy of your time and energy. Uh, you can also invest via our wish list at Amazon.com. Uh, listed under Gus T. Renegade. Again, huge thanks to all the folks who have nabbed an item or five uh, over that 13 year period. I uh, hope the cows has provided accurate information on what white supremacy racism is, how it works, what it means to be white. All of that said, few things to get to before we get to the callers. I don't know if folks are caught up. Uh, people in other parts of the world, thankfully, you well, I guess you do know white people's ball games. My goodness. Take your entire bit of concentration and, and logic and everything else. Uh, so you all see it probably with football, soccer, they call it here. So people in the States, what they call March Madness extends all the way into April with the foolishness. April Fool's Day, right? So we just keep on with the folly. We Tobacco Road, North Carolina and Duke going at it. Watch these. We didn't even allow niggers to go to either of these institutions for a long time. Now we'll watch a bunch of black boys run around and go blue devils go tar heels said man the cows let me tell you how in the pocket metaphor I say the cows our timing is generally extraordinary never more so than this calendar year all the way so that's who's playing right now now we just had on the cows 13th anniversary no less William Cohen on to talk about the Duke lacrosse case. Very important. Just talking about that. And whammo now they're at the Final Four. And our guest for tomorrow's program, Donald Matthews, his book at the altar of lynching, which pretty much the religion of white supremacy, which he almost says verbatim in the book. I emailed this white man and, you know, can we do the program? Talk about this book, white supremacy, racism. He says, oh, sure. But this is a white man in his 90s. He says, but. We can't do the program during the time when Duke or North Carolina are playing. Now, at the time that I emailed him, it was not known that, oh, my goodness, they're going to be playing each other in the final four. That's never happened. Like, oh, they'd be losing their minds. So, was, oh, OK, so he was not going to be invited today anyway. But it means so Monday's out. So we couldn't do it that day. We will do the program tomorrow and at an irregular time because he said it had to be before 4 p.m. Eastern, which is way early for our broadcast time. Like Gusty is no fan of these early morning broadcasts at all. Wanted to talk about the lynching of Sam Hose and the religion of white supremacy. Oh, my gosh. 
everything we have talked about over the last matter of fact we are so in the pocket not just duke and lacrosse and raping black males which is what the entire book of sam hose is about rape their whole chapters in the book raping black males what are we gonna do we got raping black males what are we gonna do bill cosby what are we gonna do i even said i'd never heard of sam hose before i said if it had been a trivia question and someone said who is sam hose gus for five million dollars and like uh, i don't know Raping black male? Partial credit. Partial credit. Partial blank. Okay, right on. That's the guess for any black male if you don't know. Raping black male? Very good chance that you'll be correct. Beyond all of that, you heard the segment. They were talking about Jamaica. My BFF, Amy Goodman. Royals, so-called racist suspects. Their visit to the Caribbean. Talking about reparations never request an apology from a white person anyone really but whatever in that segment you heard them talk about hey the wind rush generation what is that oh that's the generation from world war ii when we got these black people to come over and help us rebuild after the devastation and hitler and dropped all these bombs and come over to uk and europe and help us get it together and all that and and then we didn't quite get their paperwork correct so now it might be yeah you helped us out and we were damn we got all that back together it's time for you to beat it negra nog that's what they call them over there the wind rush generation even though we didn't talk about it we only had dr gerald horn here with us for about 75 minutes but that's mentioned in race war where he talks about all of the niggers that had to be moved around and brought them over there and mistreated them help us rebuild and all that dr Jordan just talked about that and then it came up like whoa it is amazing even more uh we'll continue we get to it tomorrow news reports number one gus t i normally you know nothing to brag about when i heard that audio segment i said wow that is pretty good I will take a bow. Now, if you thought that was a waste of time and I didn't tune in to hear Chris Rock's foul mouth nonsense and anti-blackness, let's just get to the news. But I thought for this week and all the hubbub and everything that happened, like, bravo, Gusty Renegade, stand by your work. That's pretty good, right? I might be in my own world of, you know, nonsense. Feel free to let me know. That was a waste of time and rubbish. Just to get to the news reports. I don't ever want to hear Chris, Chris Rock again. Duly noted. Notes. Uh, let's see. Donald Matthews, white man, be here tomorrow, Sunday, April 3rd. Sam Hose, 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Saving Time, 1 p.m. Central, 11 a.m. Pacific. Uh, let's see. Next, uh, during the segments, run them down. We heard the segment about black people having eating disorders. Uh, reminded me of uh, Karinji Calhoun. Karanji Calhoun, sorry, black male. I played that segment from Monsters Ball with Halle Berry talking. She got an Academy Award, too. They didn't have a slapping that night. I guess they didn't need one since she got an Academy Award for what you heard. Being raped by a white man. Anyway, Mr. Karanji Calhoun recently deceased. I don't even think he made it to the age of 30. Black male privilege. But I thought it was important. They said within that stigma uh, segment, they said that there is a stigma in the black community about eating disorders. And I thought, wow, like it's 
the black community has a stigma for everything, right? It's a stigma about being gay, and it's a stigma about having eating disorders, and it's a stigma about suicide. How about if you are a Negro, you're a Negro. You don't get health care. You don't get to go to the doctor and hang out. I think they said that within the report that it's expensive. Remember that my OJ, everything is one degree of separation. So because we read about Jeffrey Tubin, run of my life, I know about Marsha Clark. Remember Marsha Clark? Couldn't prosecute old raping OJ Simpson. Uh, couldn't convict Orenthal James, but she did write a book and make millions. Tubin said that she too had an eating disorder and that because when you do all that, or at least the type of eating disorder that she had, when you do all that vomiting, you're regurgitating stomach acid so it can be really bad for your teeth. Apparently she had like thousands of dollars of dental work because of this. And I think it might have been tens of thousands of dollars of dental work because of this. Black people generally don't have tens of thousand dollars sitting around to correct my oral hygiene or dental problems as a result of my eating disorder. That's generally not black people. We generally don't have access to that type of health care. Unless I've been confused. I think they said in the segment, you go to the doctor. Hey, I was reminded. Doctor, uh, is it Barbara Jones? Make sure I get the name correct. Remember the black female? She got COVID-19. She died from COVID-19. Said she, Susan Moore, that's her name. Dr. Susan Moore. She died from COVID-19. She said she was a victim of racism and then she died and they said that she was aggressive. That's the type of treatment that you can expect as a black person. So I don't think it's that black people are stigmatized. When it comes to all of these things, I think black people are victims of white supremacy and white people have pretty much told us, nope, you niggers are just lazy and shiftless and you don't have an eating disorder. You don't have depression. You got draptomania, the itis, lazy. That's what they've told us for years. And hey, we believe them. Hey, let me re- let me tell you what I read today. Let me let me follow that. <laughs> Since the Negro community is stigmatized, I want to tell you who's responsible for the stigmas in the Negro community. This is our guest for tomorrow's program. This is one that he wrote. Right, middle passage. He wrote. Uh, he's talking about lynching in general, but how this focuses on black people. So you read the paper, you would learn about the lynching of a white Yale graduate for rape or the beating to death of an old black woman and young boy for trivial crimes they had not committed. Newman's citizens knew that the county's favorite son as governor wanted lynchers indicted, but the grand juries never agreed. When black children were reported to have hanged one of their playmates all in fun, no one seems to have thought much about what this revealed about southern culture that should be white culture we'll ask him about that tomorrow noonan informed citizenry noonan's informed citizenry new lynching was always out there somewhere lynching seemed normal to black children that's what i highlighted now i highlighted the whole paragraph just to give full context that one sentence lynching 
Really, you back it up. Black children were reported to have hanged one of their playmates all in fun. Lynching seemed normal to black children. Maybe that's stigmatized too, right? I posted this online. A white man, former guest on the program, David Smith, he wrote back and he said lynching was so common. It was such a part of white culture that white and non-white children recognized the smell of burning human flesh because they didn't just cut off your genitals and all that. We got to roast the nigger. It's a picnic. It's a barbecue. They didn't just kill Sam Hose. They burned Sam Hose. That's for sure stigmatized. I know the I can re- imagine that like you don't recognize the smell of chocolate chip cookies, Cheetos. Uh-oh. Think they're burning Sam. Blackmail privilege. There was no footnote incidentally. He talked about a black female, elderly too lynched for no reason no footnote I have to ask him about that tomorrow black people so stigmatized about gays and what was the rest of eating disorders suicide anything that you can think of black people got a stigma about that yeah let's see Mm-mm-mm. they had the segment about Ballard in Seattle that was one of the few clips that I did not preface with Chris Rock. I prefaced with Sir Mix-a-Lot. I don't know how many of you are young whippersnappers have never heard the song My Posse's on Broadway. They don't play that one as much uh, anymore. I, they do have Sir Mix-a-Lot doing a PSA. If you fly into SeaTac Airport, you will hear uh, Sir Mix-a-Lot. If, you, you know, if you're there more than 20 or 30 minutes, I think you'll hear him. Anyway, uh, that song. I had heard it, never thought about it prior to me living in Seattle. Now, I've been here for a minute. Uh, That song, I heard it this week. And I said, like, years ago, I heard it here. And I was like, oh, Broadway, that's the main street. Okay, I've walked on that street like thousands of times. When they had the Chaz, that was like one block from Broadway. I mean, literally, you could, they, they were literally almost on Broadway where their encampment was. And the black male who was shot in the middle of all that, I think, was actually at the intersection of Broadway. They did protest and they painted uh, Black Lives Matter in the middle of, I think, like Broadway and Pike and Pine. Major intersection uh, in Seattle. Anyway, so in that song, he's naming all of these streets and stuff. And then I watched the video He's literally riding up and down Broadway like they're at Dick's. For anybody that's been in Seattle, like where Dick's is. And incidentally, this point of Broadway is called Capitol Hill. This is like the LGBTQ mecca of Seattle uh, and has been for years. So it would be in my view, that would not be anything to brag about, nor would that be the area of town. Like if you just want to cruise and be cool and ride up and down the street. 
Alcott Beach would be a much better location, but whatever. They're riding up and down and naming all these locations. He even named uh, 23rd and Jackson. I, I guess I'd never paid close enough. It's like, oh, my God, no people that live there. That's right there. That's the former colored district, also known as the central district. But it's been so gentrified that we look way different. I don't know if you want to cruise uh, 23rd and Jackson at this point. It looked way different than when that all came out. Anyway. Once I got all of that, like, wow, this is just a total song is a total ode to Seattle, which I never thought of it as that, because I guess there's so many streets that are called Broadway all over. But this is a total ode to Seattle song. They should have that playing when you get to the airport. Uh, Posse on Broadway. Anyway, Ballard specifically is not on Broadway. Uh, I don't know anybody, I don't think, who lives in Ballard I have no idea what is so cool about Ballard as to why the housing there they said for a one bedroom apartment $2,000 Ballard is not even like the flyest area of Seattle not by a long shot in my opinion I've even been sitting trying to think like what is in Ballard that is so amazing like I mean, it's not that far from downtown, I guess. It's by the water, but that's true of many, many locations throughout the city. They had, do have the Ballard Locks, but that's not that amazing. Like, uh, I don't know. I would need somebody to, to tell me. Like, I've been over there a few times. We're about from where I'm at right now. Ballard is like a five-minute drive. I do not know, like, what is so cool about that area, but two thousand dollars for a one bedroom apartment and then they said so many tacky things diversity whatever that means diversity which a lot of times here can mean as hey lgbtq and someone in a wheelchair and elderly people and transgender and oh yes maybe a negro maybe probably not uh let's see they continue Uh, when they had the segment for also in the segment on eating disorders, make sure I get this in as well. They talked about having big booty pride for non-white, I guess non-white females in general, black females, black and brown. I don't use that terminology. Victims guaranteed qualified. And I'm not a female. My niggardly perception that is not very far from what is normally presented anyway when we talk about black females in a hypersexualized manner. So much of the attention is on their bottoms. I think even Chris Rock said, what's in your head is way more important. Like, I do not see any lack of uh, big booty pride. Like, I will even hear white people talk about, oh my goodness, and black females, and wow. What a hun uh, behind and all the rest of it. And so baby got back like they will play that. I don't know if they play my posses on Broadway, but they play baby got back all the time. Like you will hear that at least once a week uh, throughout the country, I suspect, not just the Seattle area. But that just I mean, Sarah Bartman. Have we not seen that? Heard that? Like all focus on black is shaking. Yes. Mm, all of that. that Really? That's what we need some more of? Victims guaranteed qualified. Uh, let's see. I don't, 
yeah, language. I don't know what culturally affirming. I have no idea what that means. I can put that right up there with like marginalized microaggressions, like all of these really niggardly terms that greatly minimize white supremacy, racism. But I have no idea what culturally affirming means. Uh, let's see. Incidentally, when they were speaking with the victim who said she was suffering from uh, an eating disorder and she, I guess, said she had some black people to tell her that eating disorders are just for white people, which, again, the reason we think that is because that's what white people tell us. Negroes don't suffer from anything but what I already told you. The itis. Laziness. Uh, she said she hadn't talked with her grandmother in years where they used to talk multiple times a day. Pause. That is so common in the system of white supremacy disrupting contact attempted relationships constructive relationships that we should have with other non-white people attempted family members that is so common and I just felt that that was so tacky in a system where none of the white people who conducted that story they have no authentic concern about any of those black people her grandmother her none of them they are going to speak for the first time in years we did not need to be a part of that at all. Like, I don't care if she volunteered, like you can make this part of it, but, but like <laughs> enjoy your moment. Like for the it's in uh, our sister Killjoy. Oh actually I'm sorry, make sure I quote it correctly because it's from the book club. Ayikwe E R Ma two thousand seasons for whose entertainment shall we sing our agony? We don't need to tell why but that's in the question lane it would be maybe I'd feel differently about it if it was on black news channel or something like that if she was talking to Gusty Renegade or Scotty Reed or any black journalist on a black platform maybe I would feel differently about it but I mean God for white people really delectable negro yum 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 yes tell me yes mm, yes mm, mm, mm. tell me about how you've suffered yes mm. I could be in error. Uh, let's see. Mental health, super important. You can put all that in the rubric of mental health. We just uh, had one of our callers dial in yesterday and say, hey, I took a mental health day because I was not OK. That is so important, so necessary to do. Uh, just that's why I say all the time, Gus, how you doing? Right poorly. I am never OK in the system of white supremacy. Just sometimes it's worse than others and it's so important to acknowledge that and make time to just nourish and take care of yourself the system is about us just uh, being constantly traumatized abused and then to, to totally discard all that you're not a victim what are you talking about pull yourself up by your bootstraps and show some perseverance and get out there talk all that fool talk just blaming white people that's what they say you even get a lot of us to tell each other that Uh, let's see. They had the segment uh, talking about gynecology and they're going to make a or they made a statue for they're calling the mothers of gynecology. <sighs> Victims guaranteed on that one, too. I mean, in my view, it would be way more accurate, way more powerful because <laughs> that's a metaphor. That's a metaphor. Victims of white terrorism. If 
J. Marion Sims is the father. The mother and father is normally in the in the brain computer. You're normally thinking that there's some sort of relationship. Are they married? This is a year. If I had any input, it would not. Let's not call this the mothers of gynecology. Let's be accurate about this. Victims of why I don't want to hear anything about agency. And I, if I'm a victim of torture. You can carve on my body, no anesthesia and do whatever you want. Torture me for the benefit of white people. I don't want to hear no nonsense being euphemistic. Try to clean that up and then come back and tell old Gussie. He was father. Prince. Uh, I was a victim of terrorism because they don't pretty it up when they want to talk about genital mutilation. That's why the kings and queens of all of it. Anti-Asian violence, rape genital mutilation whether you wanted Emmett Till or whether you wanted J. Marion Sims that's what I don't want to hear any documentaries about what happens in Africa about genital mutilation zip it zip it because you don't care about them either give me it about J. Marion Sims and then you can connect that to Emmett Till and why is it all this focus on black male genitals? You can even put Claude in, Claude Neal in there too because they made him eat his own genitals. Put that one in there too and that's not ancient history. That's 20th century Florida. I don't want to hear nothing about female genital mutilation on the continent because you don't care about niggers. That's coppers. You don't care about them neither. And as I said, we're so in the pocket the preface that was another one we didn't hear Chris Rock that was one we heard the book we're reading right now Essie Mae Washington Williams where she said in the book Jay Strom Thurman who's a child rapist and it seems like all the males in his family that's an Edgefield South Carolina tradition are child rapists Jay Strom Thurman has a statue in South Carolina that they didn't take down you know who else has a statue in South Carolina that didn't come down after Dylan Storm Roof Jay Marion Sims Essie May says she thought it was weird. Like, man, you got all these rapists. She didn't call them rapists. You got all these child rapists running around and they just flirting and flirting and flirting and raping and raping and raping. And then they become gynecologists. Eh? Eh? I find that weird. I wonder if they did some terrorism on black females too. Well, I already know the answer because they were raping one. So why would I think that's odd? I wouldn't have named the statue Mothers of Gynecology. VGQ for Gusty on that one, too. Next. Oh, wait a minute. Let me watch. They sneak the black Miss Andrea in every way. Now, they, they do the statue and all that. That's grand. Uh, they said the legacy of medical racism. Pause right there. I reject that term every time. I'm so glad they read uh, medical apartheid. It would have been great if they could have had her at the statue because I think she would have had a whole lot of different things to say, like legacy. What about what's happening right now? What I just said. What about Dr. Susan Moore? Henrietta Lacks. We can name a whole lot of right now, not legacy. What you all are doing right now, today, April 2, 2022. Matter of fact, let me not forget the former governor of Virginia. Med school is where the coon man photos emerged from. That's not legacy. That's not ancient history.
the black misandry that they snuck in for whatever reason they but this is the time that we need to include Intozaki Shange's for colored girls who've considered suicide. That's a victim of racism. VGQ victims guaranteed qualified. That's the same play they made into a movie. Walter Lee Bo Willie. It's not a raping white man who's the villain. It's Walter Lee Bo Willie. Toxic black male Will Smith's cousin grabs a black baby and throws him out the window. That's for colored girls who've considered suicide when the rainbow is enough. Like, that's what we got to read at this monument? Toxic black males. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, they talked about the oh, got that one in. reparations in California. We have a number of listeners in the California area. Are any of you all during the research? See if you qualify. Go sign up. Have you looked at the program? Excited? Don't care? We have folks who live in that area. What I thought they, they had all this about you can be a Negro, but you got to have proof. You got to have your papers, right? Wind rush. <laughs> Keep saying, saying you got to have your papers. See, got to be able to document. You are descendant, American descendant of ADOS, right? Okay. I didn't hear. What about Gail Lukasik? Remember her? She was a guest on the program. So what happens if you got a whole lot of Gail Lukasics who step forward and say, hey, Stephen Fetchett is my cousin. I got the documentary right here. I went on the DNA site. Right. DNA and me. All the rest of it. Here it is right there. See, step and fetch it. Right. See, it says it right there. And then. Right. And then just follow. Right. And then you see. Yeah. See, that's that's my fifth cousin. Where's my. See. I, and and I want to tell you. <clears throat> I get a little misty. Uh, racism has been a problem for me. I've been confused because Gail, because that's what she said. I've been confused and not. I've had to die a part of my. And I, I, I might. I need a tissue. Step and fetch it has been such a cultural icon, and I've had to deny him my whole life. And I just haven't been able to embrace my nigritude. They, I mean, woo! You talk about <laughs> Will Smith. Give me that trophy. But give it back. Give it back. Give it back. Didn't deserve it anyway. Toxic black man. There we go. Gail Lukasik right here. And let's get your reparations check as well. Mm-hmm. Is that has that already been taken care of? If you're a white person, if you're classified as white, even if Stephen Fetchett is your brother, cousin, uncle, father. No, you cannot be classified as white and get reparations for white supremacy racism. Did they already take care of that or? Because I didn't hear that. I haven't seen that actually in any of the reports that I've seen about this, because I, I am certain there would be a whole lot of white people like, hmm. In fact, might be some white people who said, man, I put the feathers on so that we could get the casino. Hmm. I'm going to go out here and get me a tan. You see, remember that movie, uh, Soul Man? Remember that one? Somebody was talking about the book White Like Me, Black Like Me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Black Like <laughs> That was Gail Lukasik's book was White Like Me. <laughs> anyway, let me know if you all have checked on that one. Because I would not be surprised. It could be all kinds of clowning with this one. The Coon Man, indeed. Uh, let's see. Next. When she asked the question, she said, do anyone that's a black person, do you agree with reparations for anyone who is a black person? She didn't even answer the question. That type of thing right there makes me think this is going to be total nonsense. Gail Lukasik will get reparations, anything like that. You could be a black person. Whatever. 
<laughs> whatever. You could be Marlene Pennick. Remember her beaten up on camera by California State Patrol where I lived in California for years. Uh, Huey P. Newton was my uncle. <laughs> you got documentation? Yeah. Let's see. Last two things. Oh, look. yeah, I'll tell you. Last two things I get in, then we can get to the callers. Uh, the situation in Portland, man. Uh, I can only say, I've said for years, and when I say like years, like you can go back and listen to compensatory call-ins from 2012. Matter of routines. Hey, let's minimize the opportunities for racists to put things in our mouth. I've said that for you. Anybody, if you listen to the cows for any length of time, you've heard me say that's to be an easy one. This is not just Gusty talking idly. I don't eat out. I go to an Ethiopian restaurant here in Seattle, operated by black people. Not that I don't think black people mess over your food, but I really, and plus, I mean, being plant based, obviously that's going to greatly curtail, but I might get something at the grocery store. Other than that, I do not eat out. I know we nick over the road. Big victim in Alabama. We have a num- We have delivery drivers and such. I know we have a lot of folks who are out on the road. They have to travel and such. They're not able to be at home. They're not uh, cooks, aspiring plant-based chefs, and all the rest of it. I get it. Hey, we can invest a little bit more time and energy. Learn how to cook. Learn how to prepare foods. Learn how to prepare meals and time. Or Continue to sit down at every meal. I will hope that this liquid substance is not semen. Now, you want to talk about trauma. I don't know what that is to eat half of your meal. Whoa. What is this in my food? And they they said, we already got the confirmation. This is semen. It's just a matter of who does this belong to? They said this was a so-called multiracial family. You're raping our women. Dylan Roof, that's what he said. You can continue to eat out and think it's great. Benihana Cheesecake Factory. I know they got lots of, you know, tasty things on the menu, especially now that you can go back out and eat and all the rest of it. Hey, get down. Nobody likes to stay in the hot oven and all that. Again, we can invest the time, do a little bit of cooking, washing the dishes afterwards and all the rest of it. Or continue to go out. Benihana, all the rest of it, and wonder, hmm, is that mayonnaise? Anyway, we're so in the pocket, that was from I'm Gonna Get You Sucker to set that up. Isaac Hayes was right there. We just had all that Isaac Hayes when we finished Shaft in the book club. Anywho, Uh, All I really can say about Chris Rock, the Will Smith incidents, white people, racist man, racist woman, they always win. 
Uh, I have the same conclusion that I had last week. Nobody wanted to watch the Oscars. Nobody. It was widely stated. Uh, people had not been watching for a variety of reasons. Even when people being shut in, the pandemic and all that, the ratings were still low. This wasn't the 10th Oscars. This wasn't the 25th Oscars. This was the 94th Oscars. Nearly a century, white people have been rehearsing, conducting this event. There are very few events in this area of the world that have been rehearsed and annually executed by white people for a hundred years. I submit the same thing I said last week. Very few events that are televised and especially, hey, this was broadcast in advance. This was going to happen on television. Very few nationally televised events are unscripted. Until evidence to the contrary, I submit that this was likely staged. I'm going to phrase it as the video appears to show Will Smith striking Chris Rock. Racist white supremacist. I'm further convinced this was all staged by white supremacist design. We had folks who talked about we supposed to be in the middle of a Supreme Court justice nomination like wow that's super important right they talk about the impact that that has you can't be fired you can be in this position for 20 years and the number of laws we go back and have to talk about this, uh, Plessy v. Ferguson and Brown v. Board of Education and all that and this has such a big impact eh. kick that to the end. we'll get to that later if the war still happening, Ukraine and Russia, and you got black people that can't get out across the border, and this could be World War Three, and is China going to get involved? We'll get to that later. Reparations in California? ADOS? You going to get your... Did you see that, nigra? Toxic black mascot. That was the headline on like every... That BBC report... This is one where, hey, this is metrics. This is not Gus T rambling away. That BBC report was approximately four minutes. They had BBC, same network, a report talking about white countries hoarding the COVID virus that was two minutes longer than the amount of time that they spent talking about Will Smith. Now, I could have went back and got a whole lot. Let's, let's just see how much time that they invest this is on the other side of the world these are not British nationals are you telling me that many Britons love Chris Rock Will Smith really it's that important violent and then oh you want to tell me this is this is toxic black masculinity and you're concerned about violence on television so we can flip and watch the invasion in the Ukraine. We can flip and see any number of, you know, Adolf Hitler documentaries and all the rest of it. Walking Dead. <laughs> we got all this to pick from. And, mm, you know, the Negroes fighting and brawling and all. And, and 
I said when Hattie McDaniel got her Academy Award for Gone with the Wind, they didn't have any incidents. Celebrate this Negro serving fried chicken. Being the helpful white people right on. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Denzel Washington, either time when he got his supporting for glory or for training day. Bravo. Didn't have anything wacky happen. Bravo. 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 Sydney Portier. Bravo. 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 White doctor. Well, excuse me. Black doctor. No count white. We don't even know she graduated from high school. Bravo. Yes, bravo. Nothing. No incidents. Octavia Spencer. The help. Fried chicken. And we got the black Miss Andrea there because her enemy was not the white woman who was beautiful her to, with her, right? The white woman that she worked for, she made fried chicken. In fact, the white woman that she worked for, she wouldn't dream of being separate and not eating with my nigger maid. She went in there and sat down in the kitchen and ate with her. That's what happened in the help, right, that she got an Academy Award for. Her villain was her no-count black male husband who beat her up. The white man in the help didn't even do anything to her. He helped her get her groceries. Oh, we love you. You got a job. That black male, Leroy, he was such a villain they didn't even show him on the screen. You would just hear it. Uh-oh. Nigger man. Oh, ah, he, that might have been Will Smith, too. They didn't have any sort of disruption for Miss Spencer. She got her award. Whoopee. This time, this is not going to be even Jamie Foxx. No disrespect to Ray Charles, but I mean, hey. Playing a black musician who's a heroin addict did get the rights to his own master's. Not a total idiot, but he's still a victim of white supremacy. And we just make him a punchline for jokes about having vision impairments, right? And we make sure he was a heroin addict. We're going to get that in, right, Jamie Foxx? Okay. Academy Award, heroin addict musician, no problem. We're going to get a black father opposed to racism, firing white people, making jokes about white people as Klan members. And this nigger is responsible for Serena and Venus Williams, who we hate, call them monkeys and males all the time. Even though they married white men, we hate them. You're going to get an award for playing this nigger. This nigger who we despise forever. And this nigger playing King. Are you serious? We're supposed to celebrate this? We didn't even want to watch the Academy Awards. I think that might have been a part of it. All this nigger. <laughs> oh. Oh. We don't want to cheer all that. We do love to cheer and talk about that no count, brutish, raping black male. So with all of that said, I did not read or listen to anything related to Chris Rock and Will Smith this week. In fact, unprecedented. I didn't even listen to the report from the BBC. I sound checked it to make sure that the audio worked. I didn't even listen to it when it played loud. I turned my volume off. I'm appalled at the amount of time and attention that racists focused on this event over the last seven days, particularly for Chris Rock. You know, every time his name is mentioned, I bring up Rosa Parks. That's all I need to know about Chris Rock and anything that you have to say about anything forever. Anywho, because I don't think it's worth that much 
I can take a total of two comments on Chris Rock. So if folks dialed in and thought that they were going to chat about Chris Rock and all that, you are mistaken. Two comments. So who are the first two people to get to that? Cool in the gang. After we get our two, we are done. I do not think it is that important. Master stroke of racism, white supremacy. Black Miss Andrew wins again. Number is 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, the metaphors, they were plenty when they were talking about here in Ballard, five minutes away from Gus. They said diversity puts some spice up in your life. Delectable Negro. And that's very common when people talk about diversity. The word spice will come up or flavor. We're not talking about food or are we? Anywho, uh, if we could be mindful about the metaphors, be precise, accurate with our words. That would be super appreciated. I will give reminders uh, about the metaphors so we can be precise, exact if our word use. Uh, star six one for folks who have commentary. Again, folks that are in uh, California, if you you know are going to do the paperwork, are willing to do the paperwork, have already done the paperwork even maybe uh, to see if you qualify to get reparations and all that. Have you started it? Are you thinking about it? Do you care? <laughs> Do you think this is just some elaborate ruse or what have you? I would be very uh, curious just, you know, uh, to see how all that goes and all the rest of it for folks who are directly in the California area. Uh, let's see. Folks who have a hand up uh, line should be open. Proceed. Hey, Gus. Uh, victim from New Jersey. Um... Man, that the the thing in California. I mean, the uh, the California uh, reparations. I'm I'm definitely keeping a close eye on that. Um, I have been paying attention on Twitter um, with the uh, Ados movement. Um, you know, so I've I've kind of watched watched it from. Uh, well, I watched I watched uh, the two founders of Ados. I've watched them uh kind of you know evolve and you know create the uh uh kind of like bring momentum to the conversation and um you know and again you know vgq i'm i'm seeing a lot of uh confusion um with uh people feeling like they didn't give credit you know they were the first to uh, uh get reparations mainstream you know, I mean, that's that's neither here or there. You know, my my thing is this, you know, I mean, is it done? You know, did black people in the United States get reparations? That should just simply be like the end goal. So I've kind of just detached myself um, from that whole uh, reparations um, debate because of um, just kind of like the toxic back and forth between uh, bickering between uh, black people that I've seen on uh, social media. Um, weight gain um, uh, and, you know, during COVID, um, that's something that I experienced. I did put on weight during uh, COVID. Um, I, I, I attempt, I tried to um, 
I was getting out in the park and I was running. Uh, fortunately, you know, once, you know, COVID really, uh, uh, really got momentum and they really started locking uh, gyms down, you know, you know, basically um, locking, um, you know, after the gyms, then they went after the parks. So there was a time when, you know, the gym was closed. I was able to go to the park. But then they shut the parks down. <laughs> so, you know, so I can I can definitely sympathize with the uh, victims who were struggling with their weight during COVID, you know, because I'm, I'm basically trying to, you know, you know, come down and I'm and I'm pretty, you know, I'm athletic. I would put myself in the category of athletic because routinely I would go to the gym uh, three, four, if I could get into the gym five days a week, um, you know, I even, you know, I go weeks without me, you know, um, I've, you know, so, you know, I, I'm on and off, uh, with the whole, um, uh, meat, no meat, um, with, in my diet. Um, again, like I said, I, I agree with you, you know, Chris, I mean, you, you, I, I was going to say something about the whole Chris Rock thing, but you, you're, you're definitely right on, on the bigger and me and my um, attempted girlfriend, we talked about that, and she's uh, kind of nauseous about it. <laughs> Anytime she hears it, she's like, "Okay, that again." Like, I mean, on a big on on issues that's plaguing the planet, global warming. Uh, even if you want to throw Ukraine in there, if you want to even throw the war in Yemen, uh, reparations. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, police reform. I mean, just, just, just nonsense. But um, what I would say is that it's normal to practice violence against black males. I would just say that concerning that issue. It's, it's just normalized. Like it's just okay to practice violence against black males. Um, but with that being said, I'll close. Much obliged, uh, caller in New Jersey. Um, I think Mr. Fuller and many others have talked about that for years, that race soldiers could skillfully uh, cook up something that they'll label so-called reparations and then just use that to stir up, instigate a lot of conflict amongst non-white people. Uh, You already see some of that coming where it ultimately does not replace white supremacy with justice, which should be the end goal said that the whole time that's i said i'm not interested in any of this because they could cut you a check okay is that going to replace white supremacy with just are you going to come back and then cut me a check like every year for all of the racism that you practice between the time that you cut me the check and you know the next year do i get a check for all that racism too is this going to go on forever replace white supremacy with justice that's you know what we are not I want credit for that. I mean, credit. My goodness. We charge genocide. Like, do you know how many generations of black people have been trying to get like reparations? So-called like, my goodness. Like, I mean, have time. Paul Robeson. My goodness. Like, uh, how many people would have to be on that list um, with the weight? Yeah, that's been so widespread. Uh, and that's why I say that's so uh, important. That's why I even said like. Big Booty Pride. Hmm. I'm of the opinion uh, that
that's very common during the past two years. We heard lots of folks, white and non-white, talking about weight gain. I'm of the opinion. Um, one, stress. It's not even of the opinion. Unless I've been misinformed, there's lots of research. Stress can cause weight gain or weight loss. Uh, this past two years has been super stressful for a billion different reasons. Not sleeping correctly can cause weight gain or weight loss. The past two years has disrupted a lot of people's sleep uh, patterns from many re- stress. And then work cycles been all over the place. Maybe you're working from home and all the rest of it. So that's huge food. I know a victim in New Jersey said, you know, he's been doing the meat thing sometimes and then doing plant based. I would say the main thing, even if you are going to be eat, obviously I'm plant based, proud of it, would encourage that. Even if you are, I think many folks have said the bigger thing is eating more vegetables. If you're going to eat meat, when you do sit down to eat uh, meats, try and eat higher quality, healthier if you can, lower fat, but eating more vegetables, fruits, vegetables, less processed foods. Hopefully the meat doesn't have semen on it. Right, right. And then getting those fruits and vegetables in on a regular basis and having that take up half or more than half of your plate. I think that's the big thing and having that be a regular uh, basis so that it's not, you know, people, when they say they're eating meat, that can be a lot of different things, right? You know, that could be uh, baked turkey, chicken breast, chitlins, pork chop, bacon, be all over the place. So, um, yeah, just trying to get as many fruits, vegetables in, and then water. Say that all the time too. try and drink as much water as we can. Eliminating those non-water beverages, sugary uh, beverages and sodas and things like that. I think and alcohol. I think those are things that can uh, should be just a more sustained way uh, to look at it. Uh, but I mean, the past two years, lots of folks have said that. Also say the types of foods that you have in your house, because they've said consistently, unless I'm misinformed, what you eat is substantially more important than exercise in terms of long-term healthy weight, weight loss and all of that. I say consider like the types of foods that you have when if you snack or if you eat late or just whatever is hugely important. So if we have like potato chips or foods that are not the best around or if it's cherry and it's getting on summertime too. So I mean, hey, you can get the farmer's market pretty much anywhere that you live. Farmer's market, cherries, peaches, grapes, bananas, watermelon, having more of that around. So that's more of your snack food. If you get hungry, fruits, veggies, that type of thing can be way, way healthier and helpful uh, towards maintaining more stable uh, weight and minimizing that processed sugar. Like the processed sugar gets so many people and that's in pretty much everything. That's why I said just water, not sodas and those caffeinated drinks and what have you from the different cafes and things can be really uh, pivotal having that successful way. But man, stress, sleep, sleep, stress, what you eat. I think those are three things people don't think about a lot. Making sure that you get adequate rest, drinking water, eating fruits and veggies. Uh, Let's see. Other folks who dialed in with a hand up. If you have commentary to share, line should be open. Proceed. Greetings, everyone heard uh both of you we'll get our female caller first uh, and then we'll get retired firefighter in florida hi there guys hi everyone it's karma i've been gone for a long time so um anyway when you were talking about the reparations 
the strangest, not the strangest thing, the most unexpected thing. I, I guess I should have expected it. But the district attorney and the county judge, both of whom are white, have started their own African-American historical committee and incorporated it in the state of Texas. Now, these are the two people who made sure that when Sandra Bland died, no one was blamed for her death. But I was shocked that they would be so brazen as to start their own African-American historical committee. And I know this has to do something to do with getting their hands on reparations. They've got the scent of it. And they kicked it all off by having a tree dedication. They had the tree dedication was in the same place where they used to hang black people outside the courthouse. I've never seen so many white people show up for what is ostensibly a black celebration, right? Even the really elder black man, and I'm sure, I suspect, I suspect that they may have had a direct hand in some lynchings. Even they were there, and, and they brought cookies. They brought the refreshments. So I think that people are right. I think you were right when you said white people are going to position themselves so that they can get their hands on the vast majority of these reparations. So that was my observation for that. The next thing, oh, just as an update, the jail where Sandra Bland was hanged, where she was hanged, they have raised that jail. It is gone. They have built a new jail on the other side of town. And that jail, there's nothing left to ever know that it ever happened. It's just grass. There's nothing. There's not even a brick there to remind you of that. All right. And the next thing is Ukraine. I have noticed, and I don't think it's my imagination. I think that I think that white people are inherently violent. I think that they go from war to war, battle to battle, especially most of the time concentrating on people who are not white. But now that they're concentrating on people who are white, it does seem that we are getting a few things that we should have taken care of a century ago. They passed the anti-lynching bill. They're also working really diligently on decriminalizing marijuana so that people don't have to go to jail unnecessarily for that. And it does seem like there um, was something else. Oh, yes. There was it does seem like now that they're concentrating on fighting one another, they're not so focused on fighting us. And it was the same thing when, when Russia collapsed. As long as they were fighting Russia right up until the beginning of the 90s, black people were making some strides when they were fighting one another. But the minute Russia collapsed, it's like all the attention turned to us again. So, you know, I think that, you know, crazy people really should be put out to pasture. But the bottom line is, is white people are going to fight anyway. It's just their nature and it's just their culture. And I would rather them fight one another than fight us. So that's my opinion on that. All right. Thanks for your patience. Uh, karma down in the great state of Texas. Much obliged for the update. That's what I would suspect. Like white people are not ignorant. I'm sure that if you know about the history of lynching at this spot with the tree, I'm sure that they know too. That's probably why she said they brought cookies. I just said, watch the processed sugar and they bring it out to the Negroes. Here, have some more sugar. Get that diabetes in you. Here you go. You'll feel better. Get two of them. Get three. (laughs) Yes, that way you all will be dead. It'll be even easier. Yes, we will get Sandra Bland. We we, we, that was a part of our trauma, too. You see? 
step and fetch it was my cousin and the other black people down in this area and it's just been awful and rep yes reparations thank you uh let's see much obliged retired firefighter for your patience oh put out to pasture is a metaphor uh retired firefighter greetings everyone uh yes uh i uh have heard about and actually participated in the content of reparations since the uh, 1980s, uh, although it actually was a lot of uh, uh, work on behalf of non-white black people on the subject uh, that I know about since the, uh, even in the 1960s. But uh, as far as recently, I've heard uh, former guests of the cows, Tariq Nasheed, he's been uh, talking about the subject for, uh, uh, as far as from me hearing, a, a couple of years uh, on the subject, and he's been using his uh, uh, internet platforms for uh, such cons- uh, cons- uh, uh, conversation. And uh, even came up with a uh, distinction to identify on who should get reparations. He identifies it as foundational black Americans, uh, which uh, he describes that uh, those are non-white, non-white people who are rich classified as black who can trace their lineage in this part of the world, of the concept that's called the United States, uh, as far back as the 1860s, I think he said. Uh, if they can trace their lineage back, those are the only group of people who should get reparations. And being that the subject matter can't, has been really coming up in uh California, and he stays in California. Uh, he has been uh, uh, putting out news on the subject matter, uh, giving updates. He was able to participate in one of the meetings that I know about, maybe several several more uh, opportunities he had uh, to do so. Uh, that's all I have to report on it. Uh, there is some negativity that I want I want to bring up on, on the program, but uh, yeah, uh, he's definitely been talking about it a whole lot, you know, as far as that concern. Uh, today was the first day of a new session for the DCS program. Uh, everything uh, went pretty smooth. Uh, we we uh, retain a significant number of boys, whereas the parent a parent would have the child not just to come to one session, but would participate in another realm of of sessions. Uh, uh, you know, for years, and we 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 literally are watching these children grow up. <laughs> there's one there's one child who uh, I think the last time we saw him was maybe uh, 
I would say something like five four or five four or five five, and he looks to be now over six feet tall, <laughs> over six feet tall, and uh, close to close to two hundred pounds. And I don't I don't mean chubby or anything like real big. And uh, <laughs> uh, it, it, it's amazing. Uh, and it, that and basically what you can see them growing uh mentally as well as physically uh as far as developing a level of maturity in other words you can see signs where they are they are absorbing what we are trying to share with them uh as uh my job is primarily is is film time and uh we traditionally uh the first film that we show is the eyes on the prize version of Emmett Till. Uh because uh Emmett Till uh is identifiable can be in relationship to who are the to the uh the people that we are sharing with. Uh we're talking about black male children uh from the age of seven to seventeen years old. And uh we demonstrate to them that something similar could happen to you. Uh, they may have a more revised version of quote-unquote lynching, but ultimately the outcome would be the same, which is your death based on racism, white supremacy. And uh, we mentioned also that uh, there have been those in the past who have put their lives uh, to uh, try to uh, exterminate uh, the problem. Uh, and uh, it should be also part of your ambition to is to uh, eliminate the problem and replace it with something better also. Uh, and uh, even the things that we teach them as far as uh, uh, behavior, that sort of thing, it, 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 it contributes towards solving the problem. Uh, uh, a uh, black male who is thinking and thinking healthy uh, is, uh, is actually is counter to the system of racism and white supremacy. And uh, let me see what else. Oh, about the... Uh, the incident that took place uh, in, uh, in for the Oscars, uh, I also look at it. Nobody's life was in danger, <laughs> was in danger at all. And every time I see the quote-unquote blow, it looks phony. It looks phony. Uh, the reason why the sound uh, was heard because of the microphone. Probably that uh, Mr. Rock had on him. If not, it was very close to him. And, uh, I mean, if, if that had any type of hurt, physical hurt to him, uh, I would, I would, uh, I'd be surprised. And that's all I have to say. Thank you. Much obliged, retired firefighter in Florida. That will round out our Chris Rock commentary for the day. Love it. That is our job. Dr. Welsing, she has it in the ISIS papers, our cosmic 
assignment solve the problem replace white supremacy with justice that's what we are here to do that can be your only reason for being here on the planet if that's not it why are you here classified as a black person in the midst of all of this rhetorical uh before we nap some of the other folks who dialed in i just want to say victims guaranteed qualified vgq it's been said many times especially around so-called reparations that's another one where it's man if anything be clear it's about solving the problem one thing i would add on that when people want to get real specific about negros having their paperwork that they did say that in the report like hey <laughs> negros don't count you black person hey you got black people i was gonna say in the 1800s you have black people probably including some of the people on this program right now's grandparents and maybe even parents depending on the age of the folks might not have accurate documentation the book we're reading right now Essie Mae Washington Williams she said they didn't have proper documentation for her mother so we can do all that I would suspect you can have a whole lot of Negroes who are for sure victims of white supremacy and their grandparents and great grandparents were victims of white supremacy born right cheer this continent who maybe they got paperwork and maybe they don't and same thing I said before you know the people who are really good at producing paperwork authentic or no I'll just leave that rhetorical uh, let's see folks we've not heard from at all oh, before we get to the phone, when they talked about the black women best, no issue with helping black females. Bonnie Watson Coleman, no issue with helping them. But we, she said the unemployment rates. I'm going to read the, exactly from the transcript. She said, we say, well, we've created 6.5 million jobs over the last two years. Our unemployment rate has gone from 9% to 4%. And then you'll see black women are 25%, meaning unemployed, and black men are 23%. Now, that was enough to make me pause. Now, 2%, eh, eh, big deal. Lots of black people are unemployed. That's right. That's right. The thing that caught my attention, hey, I just said we're reading Dr. or excuse me, Essie May, Will, Essie May Washington Williams. In her book, she talks about loads of unemployed black males over and over and over and in every state it stood out because I've never heard of statistics where black females had higher unemployment rates than black males like never even Athena Matua when she was on the program that's where we got black male privilege from even she did not include employment as one of the privileges of being an old toxic black male because even she said hey even in the worst of times black females could get a job Essie Mae Washington Williams has not at any point in her book said that it was black males and females or black people in general no 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 the people that were houseless and shiftless and lame and down and out every time were black males so I'm saying unless I have data I think that this is inaccurate you and it's not sourced to anything they didn't say where they got it from I'm looking right now at the US Department of Labor statistics for 2021 and 2022 
For black males over 16, the rate of unemployment for 2021, 10%. The rate of unemployment for black males over the age of 16 for 2022 is 6.8%. Scroll down. What is the rate of unemployment? Oh, oh, that was the one for total. Let me make sure I give it accurate. Rate of unemployment for black males, 16 and over for 2021, 10.8%. The rate for black males, 2022, 7.3%. For black females, 9.2 for 2021, 6.4 for 2021. So let me retract. It's not inaccurate. I'm saying they lied on NPR because they could have did the same thing that I did. Just look at the U.S. Department of Labor Statistics. If you want to do a program that excludes black males, say that. Do that. They do that all the time. They have the program that's cash assistance that's exclusively for black females. Just say that. Don't lie to me about the unemployment statistics. You can just go verify that quickly. Now, if you got your statistics from someplace other than if there's a better source than the United States Bureau of Labor tell me where to look and I'll go there black Miss Andreas every time I guess we got so many privileged black males we don't want to give jobs and programs have more Will Smith's running around smacking people raping everybody strive for accuracy let's see uh, folks that we have missed totally if you have a hand up commentary to share do not wait till the last minute proceed Comments or comments. <clears throat> I want to talk about the Russia versus Ukraine. And in the morning, I like to watch the news, but I get up kind of late. So, like the the local news or the Today Show and all that stuff, they're doing silly stuff. So I've been watching the BBC news, and I'm watching the BBC news, and they're combining you with the Ukraine, Russia, all day every day. And I'm saying, okay, this is okay, this is like a lot, but I can I can do something. I'm listening to see if any of the reporters are doing little side chuckles. Are they are they like laughing? Are they snickering like they do sometimes when they report on very important issues pertaining to black people? Like it could be a black child could have got murdered and the reporter finds a way to get a snicker in there somehow. So it's not even funny. Well, guys, I haven't heard one report, and I've not only listened to BBC, all the local news, the national news, um, uh, RT. Well, that's Russian TV. But I'm just, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to hear a chuckle. I've heard none, and I've been listening to coverage for weeks, just like everybody else has. Another thing I wanted to say about that is when uh, the Russian President Putin, I've been hearing a lot of black people bring this up. I guess Putin said something about he was he was going after the Ukraine because there was neo-Nazis and he wanted to get rid of neo-Nazis. It's so, like a lot of black people have been repeating that, like, that means something. And so in my little group of less um, 
confused, but still confused. I don't know why supremacy rally is at. It's just a couple people who talk about this stuff. Because there's not a lot of people that even want to talk about it. So it's a small group. And so a couple people bought into the group. Well, you know, he did say that he's trying to get rid of neo Nazis. So, uh, so now we're breaking down, okay, what is even is neo-Nazism? And he didn't say he was going to help stomp out white supremacy, though. He said neo-Nazism. So we spent hours going over what neo-Nazi even means and what we thought it meant or what we've been taught that it meant. So anyway, he didn't say he was getting rid of white supremacy. And um, I wanted to also comment on um, when... Um, we say, or, or you say that, you know, for whom will my pain entertain someone? Now, I don't have the same right, but you said it earlier. Black people's pain is supposed to be some type of an entertainment. And as white supremacists, can I sit back with my popcorn and just hear how your dad was never there for you or or your mom was a junkie in the streets and you had to raise your eight brothers and sisters and he was only seven years old. They love that stuff. And it always makes me think of um, King Richard. Well, not King Richard, but uh, the book that we read that uh, Mr. Richard wrote, like he kind of used that to his advantage. It was, he was telling us about how he worked somewhere and, and some white guy thought that he had like children or whatever. And Mr. he wasn't even like 15 or 16 years old. And this white guy was like, oh my God, you got all these different children. Like, yeah, that's what we see black men. They, they start early. I mean, 11 years old, they get 13 women pregnant or whatever. But um, if you guys go back and listen to that, he kind of used that to his advantage which I thought was just fascinating. And then um, the last thing I wanted to bring up was about the slap that happened at the Oscars. And so that's what I thought about the slap. I was like, it can't, that can't be what it is. They gotta be doing this because one, they didn't want to give Will Smith an Oscar anyway, because they don't want to do that for black people or non-white people, period, in that type of realm, the Oscars or whatever. They didn't want to give it to him. And two, he was getting it for King Richard, for Venus and Serena's father, who they hated, and they even hated the girls, too, and they did not like him. So I think that that might have something to do with it. I could be off. I could be talking crazy, but that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. Much obliged. Uh, our female caller definitely done with our Chris Rock uh, commentary, which more important things. Many folks have said that, by the way, in terms of what you heard with the BBC, that the coverage of this has been very different uh, in hearing white people warring with other white people, where it's white people that are suffering on all of that and reports about white people dying like, whoa, this is not funny at all. Like, this is not you know, Haitians suffering, where as she said, we can get in our little juggling. Oh, look at the Negroes. Mm, mm, mm. Always something for the Negroes, isn't it? Mm, mm, mm. Not this time. Like, oh my gosh, they've got blue eyes and blonde hair. What are we going to do? And lots of folks have commented, like, wow, this seems substantially different 
not talking about black people in the Congo and wherever else having tough times. Incidentally, I'm not surprised that the black people being confused and saying that uh, allegedly maybe there was some report that uh, Vladimir Putin said he was going to get the neo-Nazis in Ukraine, uh, whatever that means. He's like, what? Where did you hear this? Really? Did he say this in Russian? Can you speak Russian to verify that's that's what why not come get some of the race soldiers here in the U? Is that possible? Can he do that? No. Other side of the world only. Hmm. Context of white supremacy. People. Oh, the man. We did read it in the book club. 2000 seasons. Way well, not way back, but. 10 years ago, uh, 2000 seasons, I.E. Kwe Arma. Uh, for whose entertainment shall we sing our agony in what hopes shall the destroyers aspiring to extinguish us suffer conciliatory remorse at the sight of their own fantastic success what a uh, 2000 seasons it's in the book club reading more important than watching television wow Ayikwe Arma is an amazing writer on the kind. He's written many other books. That's just one. I don't even know if that's the book that he's most known for, 2000 Seasons, but we did read it in the book club. Uh, folks, we missed totally. Yeah, I'll be heard. Our caller in Florida. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners, and callers. Uh, I wanted to mention a few things about the audio. Um, it was the the first one was the uh, the segment where I think you had played um, the 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 white teens. I think at the high school. I think that's in California. That was terrorizing the black female, and then you did the rewind. That I think that was that that same story where uh, they did the. They, I don't know if they spray painted or something or did some kind of vandalizing or something, practicing racism. And now they, they took it to doing it on social media um, with the terrorizing, practicing white supremacy. And they were like, hey, you know, we have these people's names. Like, we have these race soldier names. And I guess it was maybe some other white people in a... Um, authoritative position, maybe law enforcement or something, I guess trying to make excuses for them or something like that. I'm not entirely sure. Um, But I hope that some kind of justice is obtained and that they get punished for those acts of racism. The next one was, I think it was in the Chicago area, uh, Mayor Lightfoot, I think they were talking about the the uh the public records request. That reminds me of one of the things that one of the uh, attorney white people where I work at, uh, they were sending out these emails about the media. You know, you get a call from a, a news reporter or something like that, it should be forwarded to, you know, this attorney lady. And they were talking about Sunshine Week and all throughout the state of Florida. You got these people trying to um, get these large public records requests um, and saying that people aren't able to see their records and look at their files. And I'm thinking it did have something to do with white supremacy. But, of course, they're going to always speak 
in generalities, use abstractions. They didn't they didn't say racism, but I'm thinking that's what it was. And when I heard that segment, that reminded me of that. But they kept saying the term sunshine week. Now, I never heard of that term, but they were they used that to refer to something just like that about public records requests. Um and there was an email too I wanted to read, but I can uh, read it on another um uh program. And the last one is I think it was talking about the um the, the passports. We got an email on that too. Um but it was mainly talking about these pronouns, right? And I've been doing that for a while. Now it's it's somebody that, that'll come in and change their name. You know, I don't wanna be called my male name. I wanna be called this female name, basically. That's you know, me thinking that. That's what their their approach is. So I don't say sir, you know. I'm not saying ma'am. I'll just say yes or something like that. And this is what the email was talking about. Because the people on the other end, they're doing the passports. So we got that email talking about, hey, don't assume, don't assume the gender. And that they have another box to check a X on, uh, gender neutral or something like that, a different gender, not male or female, M or F. Okay. And they, they was basically trying to say, say you or your, they or them. Don't say he, she, him or her. They're, and they're getting into the terms, you know, and I was kind of already doing that because I already give these name change copies because they have to change their names going to uh, Social Security and DMV. So uh, this may also inspire me to go and ask white people again, you know, what other kind of things I can do to say because just like I was talking about the racial classifications, white people were practicing racism, not getting back to me, of course. But yeah, that that gender neutral terminology, things like that, the pronouns, I think I think that's going to come up more in the future. Uh, and and that's all I have to report. Thank you. Oh yeah, man. How far we have come. Like I almost, if it had been a different week, no Chris Rock, baby. Um, when we went to the white privilege conference in 2010, it's in the archives. There's a lengthy portion because they had gender neutral bathrooms at the white privilege conference. That was a, that was a part of the dialogues, conversations that they were having. I don't know what that has to do with so-called white privilege or white supremacy racism, but they were what they call it ahead of the curve. 2010, they had gender neutral bathroom, uh, bathrooms. 2022, gender neutral passports. Contempt for gender. And I mean, woo, you talk about you can't get in trouble. You're working at the desk in the segregated section, no less. Ma'am, ma'am, who are you calling ma'am? Coon. Uh, 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 <laughs> buddy try that come up to uh broadway my posse's on come up to broadway and even try that one come around and just willing ma'am sir ooh contempt for gender strange times and yes that was uh california 
uh, with Dr. Elise Verscher. Now, you can even take that right there. Now, you ask me, now, Gus T., what do you think is more important? Whatever happened at the Academy Awards or what happened to Dr. Elise Verscher, black educators, we've been talking about that because we got lots of black educators, right? Young academic, many of them. Black assistant principal, they spray paint nigger all over her parking area, assigned parking area. So her name might be this. So this is no mistaken. Nigger. We're talking to you. Same thing I said yesterday, too. Like you can dress up. I'm sure she doesn't come in with footies and her pants hanging off her behind and all the rest of it. I seen pictures of her. She looked professional, qualified, competent doctor. Same thing they say. What's the racist joke? What do you call a black person with a Ph.D.? Negra. Same thing I said yesterday. We call a black person in footies. Anyway, yes, they said these young white boys. Well, I say white children because I don't know. They was. She said, yeah, they they went on social media. She said they bragged. Yeah, we called you a nigger. We spray painted it. Nick and what? Unpunished. Now, do I want to sit and haggle about Will Smith? Do I want to sit and haggle about Chris Rock? This is a black educator. You got a gang of white teens brag about terrorizing her. And yeah, are y'all going to punish them? We're still trying to deal with this Will Smith thing. You know, like uh, I like getting jiggy with it, but I don't know. <laughs> what? What? What about the white? You know, we, we get to that. We get to that. This hijinks, you know. Tom, it was probably a prank. You know, it's April Fool's Day. We get to that later. This, you know, I love Pootie Tang. You know, I love Chris Rock. We got to do something about this. President Obama, you know, he told me that young white people were better about this. I would ask, Dr. Versher, do you think the young white people are better on racism, white supremacy. They don't do this anymore. Hmm. That's a whole nother component. Now, if that's how they treat the black assistant principal, how do you think they feel about the black children? She has a doctorate and she's a Negro five times. And they brag about calling her a nigra. Make TikTok account so they can call her a nigra. That's who you send your child to. That's another one to think about. You get you get white supremacy, racism. You want to know why we don't qualify for mental health? Any of us? Dr. Welsing knew this very well, having to do counseling with black people for all those years and children. That's why you don't qualify. We don't qualify. I got to sit down to eat. Now, is this mayonnaise? I hope it's mayonnaise. Send my child to school. Mm. Hope they don't call her a Negro or worse today. Anywho, that is three. We'll be here tomorrow. Burning of Sam Hose, the religion of white supremacy. Let me give that quote again because that's what I did today. I was working. I had to listen to Chris Rock yesterday, right? Make my clips do the program. Uh, And then reading, he said, when black children were reported to have hanged one of their playmates, 
all in fun. No one seems to have reported or excuse me, seems to have thought much about what this revealed about white culture. Lynching seemed normal to black children. That's tomorrow, Sunday, April 3. Irregular time, I hate it. 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Saving Time, 1 p.m. Central, 11 a.m. Pacific. Donald Matthews, white man, graduate of North Carolina and graduate of Duke, so he was going to be happy either way. No conflict with the white ball games. Much obliged to everyone tuning in. Karma Pithens even back hanging out with us for the evening. Uh, hope it was worthy of your Saturday evening. Sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy, even if they are decriminalizing. They're not going out of the business of locking up Negras. If you are out and about, this is not a time for confrontations with race soldiers. Uh, you should be thinking they could be armed. Uh, if you didn't leave your residence prepared to kill and or die, exit. You can call the enforcement officials as you are exiting, retreating, as they say. Uh, if you're in a vehicle, you're sober, buckled, and not on the cell phone. Uh, we need all of our attention and just trying to do the small things that we can to minimize contact with race soldiers, badge or no. That said, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people victims of white supremacy we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places each and every time we are in contact with another black person it has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, no brother. Problem. You're a victim. Right. I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs>